Why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie? Look what I become. I'm, the, I'm, the one. I'm Patrick Bedev, your host of Vitam, and today I have two special guests with me. And these are not just any guests, they're biowarfare experts and pandemic experts, especially since we're going through this coronavirus pandemic. I decided to bring them on board. One's a lieutenant colonel, the other one is a colonel. Both of them are retired, and they give a complete different spin and take on what's taking place with the coronavirus. Today, I have with me two guests. One is Professor Andrew Natsios who was a former lieutenant colonel for 23 years, and I also have with me Dr. Parker, who was a former colonel in the military. They both are experts on the topic of pandemic, and I'll let them introduce themselves to you on what they do professionally and many different experiences they have. But I got a list of questions to go with them. So having said that, let's get right into it. Gentlemen, thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. So if you don't mind taking a moment and just kind of introducing yourself, what you do, you know, we'll take the lead from there. You can so I'm first. a professor, professor uh, in the international program at the Bush School of Government at Texas A&M. And I run the Scowcroft Institute okay. of International Affairs. General Scowcroft was a national security advisor to President Bush 41, the older Bush who just Director died CIA, yeah. a couple of years ago. Uh, before, so 12 years I've taught. I used to teach at Georgetown University in the Walsh School. But for much of my career, my middle, later career, I was in international development. So what do you do to help poor people in the developing world? In agriculture, and health, so I was the administrator of the United States Agency for International Development, which is the foreign aid program of the U.S. government that helps poor countries. And we've been doing that since 1961. President Kennedy created it. Uh, President Bush was one of our great heroes because he tripled the budget for uh, foreign aid. Most people don't know that. And his program uh, on malaria has cut malaria rates in Africa, 50% in many countries. And the HIV-AIDS program he started has also pushed back um, the HIV AIDS problem in Africa and other areas of the world. Um, so I did that. I was with World Vision, the NGO, for five years as a, in the 1990s as a vice president. So I have an academic career. I have a, a, a career as an as a aid administrator. And then I have a career in state government in Massachusetts, where I originally come from. I was in the state legislature for 12 years, and then I was chief operating officer for the state, and then I ran the Big Dig, which is a huge construction project in Boston. After there were cost overrun scandal, I had to fire a bunch of people, and it was a kind of a big mess. So I have three careers. Very, and, and you also work with Dr. Fauci on HIV. Well, I worked with him 15 years ago because he's the one that convinced President Bush to start the program, mm. and we worked with him, and uh, the global health program at AID is its strongest, uh, the strongest sector that AID works on as projects all over the world. And one of the things we should have been doing is mobilizing AID to help people in Africa, Latin America, the Middle East, and Asia in poor countries to deal with this because they don't have a lot of support. Without AID and without some of the other aid agencies, the UN is over, over committed right now. It's just WHO mm -hmm. and, and the World Health Organization and they need help. So that's, that they've begun to mobilize. Congress put a billion and a half dollars in the budget that just went through the mm -hmm. president's sign to do this. So I'm, I'm happy, but the, I think they should have done it two months ago. Well, we got to get into that. <coughs> sure. I, and, and I got a list of things I want to get into. How about yourself, Dr. Park? So um, I would describe my, uh, my careers, public service, public health, national security. Um, now I'm the uh, director of the Pandemic and Biosecurity Policy Program in the Skullcroft Institute. 
and I'm also an Associate Dean for Global One Health um, at Texas A&M. Um, prior to uh, joining Texas A&M about six years ago, I had 36 years in, at the federal level, 26 years in, in the Army, active Army, and a lot, of, a lot of my career was spent at the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. I was a former deputy commander and commander, affectionately called USAMRIT. Many people know it as that. And so uh, I kind of cut my teeth on uh, biodefense, uh, high-consequence emerging infectious diseases uh, from that experience. Uh, when I left the Army, I went to the Department of Homeland Security, and then I was drafted and pulled quickly over to the Department of Health and Human Services in 2005, about 30 days before Hurricane Katrina uh, hit. And so uh, I kind of quickly pivoted to emerging infectious diseases, to um, uh, things like um, um, healthcare capacity and things like that that we're also dealing with today, and, uh, and then pandemic preparedness and so forth. So I was a principal deputy assistant secretary at HHS for um, that's one of the leading forces right now for uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and my last um, tour in government service was at the Pentagon as a Deputy Assistant Secretary for Chemical and Bi Biological Defense. And my career kind of crosses over, like uh, what Andrew said, with Tony Fauci, and when, certainly when I was in HHS uh, and, and DOD, but it goes back to the anthrax letter attacks in, in 2001. So it's fair to say you're both qualified to talk on this topic, which is why we have you here. So we're excited uh, for you to come out and spend some time with us. By the way, I posted a question yesterday. What questions would you ask them? And we got lists of questions. First person I asked was my eight-year-old son. What question do you have about this pandemic? I said, Dr. Parker is going to be here. I said, do you have any questions for him? I said, is he related to Peter Parker? So for full transparency, any relation to Peter Parker, we can get that out there so he knows. No relation okay, that I am. So, Tico, just so you know, there is no relation. I know it was important to know that. So, so let's get right into it. So good, bad, ugly. A lot of people are afraid. I'm in the business world, I'm in the financial world, I mean, I, and we're creating content, and we have employees, agents, clients, everybody, we're, there's a lot of people that are afraid because uh, there's, a, there's a, this level of uncertainty of people still don't know what's really taking place. From where you're at and what you know, what good do you know about what's going on right now, progress, bad and ugly? So good, bad, ugly. You can start off with uh, ugly or bad first and then go to good if you want to. But you can, you can you take, start? A, yeah, I'll take a start. I'll take a start. Yeah. Well, um, I think actually one of the good, because we pivoted from a period of what was called containment strategy mm -hmm. when um, the president uh, actually uh, imposed some travel restrictions from China. Uh, and at that time, that made a lot of sense. And we took a lot of actions to... Uh, to begin to try to contain uh, the virus uh, when we go back to, you know, end of January timeframe. And that was essentially to buy us some time to start doing some preparedness. And so the organizations are going to be best prepared are the ones that took time to, to start preparing back uh, when the containment strategy really began. But we've clearly hit an inflection point where we clearly have transitioned to a mitigation strategy plus containment. But uh, and that mitigation strategy is is really re reliant on what's commonly talked about now, is flattening the curve through social distancing, mm -hmm. social separation interventions, both personal and at the community level. So what I would say is good about that, that people are taking it seriously, um, and they are moving out actually with some government guidance at all levels, federal, state, uh, local. But universities, businesses, schools are taking action, and people are paying attention to it. And they're not necessarily waiting for the federal government you know, to tell them to do something. The guidance helps, 
But I would say that's part of the good, that the seriousness we are taking uh, in the social distancing interventions. Now, we have a long way to go, and I know that's now having a huge impact on, on our economy. Um, but uh, we, we know that, um, and I would say also that that is the good as well. So we are getting good guidance, or we're getting guidance from the federal, state, and local level on what it means to uh, protect uh, our public health. But we're also seeing a lot of action to try to address some of the economic impacts as well. And so I'll, we'll go into some of the, the bad later. So that's the good. That's the Any good. good you have. Well, I, I think there are basically three ways of combating a pandemic. One way is a vaccine. We don't have a vaccine. It'll be a year and a half before we do. We can't wait that long. I mean, the, the consequence would be catastrophic. The second is through medication that will kill, the, by taking a pill, you mm -hmm. kill the, the virus called antiretrovirals. We call them antibiotics for a bacterial infection, antiretrovirals for a, a viral infection. This is a virus. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, antiretrovirals that already exist but they don't know what it'll do to this virus. It could make things worse, conceivably. Not, not likely, but conceivably. We don't know which one works better than the others. So they're testing them now, and Jerry tells me two to six months before May, Yeah, now, there's some promising uh, antivirals that are already approved, FDA approved for under, other indications, right. and the preliminary evidence that suggests that some of these antivirals uh, may have uh, efficacy against the COVID, uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so clinical trials have already begun to uh, look specifically at uh, this, this virus and, and whether they would help clinically. So this, the social distancing is not going to solve the problem because as soon as you stop doing the social, if you get the infection rate will go down if everybody follows the instructions to do the social distancing and quarantine and all that. So, but, but then when you stop doing it, it'll go up again. The only way to stop it is to kill it, and you can kill it through medication and later vaccines to prevent you from getting sick at all. But that's not, in the, mm -hmm. these, these are sequential months. in terms of timing. So the amount of damage to the economy and the number of people who would die if we waited for the vaccine is, is we, we, that's not an option. But we have to do it because the permanent long-term fix is massive inoculations around the world and a vaccine. So we're doing, we're doing the right thing now with limited resources and limited tools. Now, let me mention who is at risk because the data is very, very interesting that's coming out, and there's more and more data. We had a lot of data from China, and there was a large study done that was published in the American Medical Association, Journal, Journal, yes, mm -hmm. Journal of American Medical Association, by Chinese scientists. They, we think, our scientists believe that it was legitimately done. You know, a lot of the data, I don't believe the data coming out of China. I think it's cooked, because the Chinese government's an autocratic regime, and they're using this crisis to advance their strategic interests that have nothing to do with the, they're using the crisis to push us aside and say, we, we, we are the ones that should be leading the world, not the United States. Well, we can talk about that later. But, so, but we have data now out of Italy. And I Italy and South Korea are democratic systems. Their uh, scientists are not gonna be ordered what to do. They, won't, they wouldn't follow it anyway. Uh, but a study came out yesterday uh, from the very large caseload in Italy, which is now the second largest in the it, world, it is not? next to China. And I think there are 27,000 people infected and they've mm -hmm. lost a large number large of people. Number. Large number. It's the highest death rate in the world. 8% of the people get sick die. Yeah. Uh, South Korea, <coughs> who is way, afraid, uh, uh, way ahead of everyone else, has only 1% death mm -hmm. rate. Now those figures are going to change. They both have modern healthcare systems. Uh, uh, Italy waited too long, 
to respond, South Korea responded immediately. South Korea tested everyone, massive testing, 250,000 tests. That allowed them to target what they were doing. Uh, and the reason they did all this is they had a SARS, another uh, virus similar to this one, uh, that took place 15 years ago. They screwed it up then and they fixed it. The Koreans fixed so their they system. they were prepared from a past That's mistake. exactly That's correct. That's very good news. Yes. Per pre preparedness yeah. does work if you do it at the senior level with all the ministries in the, in the case of South Korea, mm -hmm. our departments in our case. So now who is at risk? The study says, in the one that just came out, 99% of the people who have died in Italy mm -hmm. had some other comorbidity, which means some other disease. They had cancer, they had a heart attack, they had a stroke, they had diabetes, they have an autoimmune disorder. You said 90%? 99%. 99%. 99%. Okay. That's what the study says. Got it. Okay, now... The one that people have not talked about at all, I mean, yeah. it's in the data, and there's a study in China and one uh, that I saw that is exactly the same, but not the same percentages that was done in Wuhan on a small sample. The, the group that is most at risk are people who have hypertension, which means high blood pressure. Now, we looked up the data this morning. According to the Center for Disease Control, the, the preeminent group of scientists in the United States and the federal government, 108 million Americans, 30% of the population, have high blood pressure, okay? 30 million should be on medication and they're not. And 75% of these people should be trying to control their high blood pressure by minimizing, for example, the amount of salt they use, exercising more, not eating fried foods, for example. I mean, you can lower your blood pressure without medication, but they're not doing that. Obesity causes high blood pressure. That, that contributes it to it a lot. So 75% of the people who died in Italy had high blood pressure that was not being treated. Okay? So Jerry gave me an explanation. You don't want to go. It's, I didn't even understand what he was talking about as to why there may be a biological connection between this virus and high blood pressure and why that is killing people. So the advice is get your, your blood pressure tested. If you have high blood pressure, you should be on medication. Maybe too late in your life to do it, because if you don't take the medication, you're likely to have a stroke or a heart attack with high blood pressure if, you don't, if it's not treated properly. Uh, exercise more. If you, if you improve your lung capacity, uh, that'll also make your lungs stronger, because the other element of this is the younger people are, have very low rates they have the same rate of infection, but they have very low rates of mortality, under 40. Very low. Uh, in, in, in the case of Italy, most of the people who died were over 60 years old. Huge percentage were over 60, mm -hmm. 60 years old. That doesn't mean younger people can't get sick. It means they won't die from it. Now, there is some evidence that it can also damage your lungs. If you get it, but you so, survive, 20 to 30% reduction in your lung capacity. How accurate is that, by the way? It's, it's a preliminary report. All of this you is know, I, You know, I, I think we all have to be cautioned to um, not um, um, focus on any given statistic or any given um, literature publication in a moment. We are going, we, there's a lot we still don't know about right. this virus. And we have to just understand that and appreciate it. But every day we are learning so much more about this virus. You know, and knowledge, the scientific knowledge about this virus is extremely important to how we guide our public health response. And, and we just have to accept that right now we are still in a data gathering mode. 
Uh, it's very similar to other outbreaks that we've experienced, including the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. We are in somewhat of a fog of war, unfortunately, but that happens with all kind of serious outbreaks. This happens to be a really serious outbreak and a real, potentially real serious um, virus that uh, we have to pay attention to. We don't have to worry. I mean, worrying can be counterproductive. We have to be concerned um, about it. I'd like to go back. Could I go back and visit the community mitigation? Sure. A little bit too, yeah, and because sure. to just to maybe show some examples of why it's important at a macro and, level. And by the way, just out of curiosity, are we still on good, or have we gone to bad, or have we not gone to ugly yet? <laughs> we're still on. We're still on good. good. Okay, yeah, so we're, we're going to get to bad. Stuff I was bringing up is you is, brought some bad stuff. Bad stuff. We're not on ugly yet. So yeah, let's see where you're going to go. We're, 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 I'm going to come back to the maybe to the to the good okay. uh, again, and why community mitigation is important, and why flattening the curve is is a is a real phenomenon, and we can just look at the macro level and. and and, and uh, without getting into statistics, but look at, at China and the impact of COVID in, in China. And so where there were some draconian, draconian uh, social distancing measures put in place around first around Wuhan and then the entire Hubei province, which included up to 60 million people, that was a complete, complete shutdown with a lot of you know police control and Invasion of privacy and et cetera, et cetera. So when you look at the that, um, and it was it became a crisis. It was just out of control. But when you look at the data from the rest of China, actually that lockdown of the Hubei province actually mitigated the severity of the z- disease in the rest of China. And so that's just an example on a macro level that these actually community mitigation. Now that's draconian. We're never going to do something like that in um, in our in our country. And most countries would not not do that. But then there's some other good examples. And so you look at Singapore, you look at Taiwan, they have largely mitigated the severe impacts. They have a lot of cases, but they've been able to mitigate some of the severe impacts and the overwhelming of the hospital systems and so forth and mitigated the number of deaths. Uh, But it was social distancing, essentially, the community mitigation, social distancing and containment and laboratory testing. Compare that to Italy where um, Professor Natsios has already said they waited way too late to in- implement any community mitigation, and we see the results mm-hmm. compared to uh, Italy versus Taiwan, Singapore, and then in South Korea, somewhere kind of in the middle. Uh, but they, they jumped out at it too. They had kind of a unique case with the Diamond Princess cruise ship that was part of you know what started there. Or no, that was Japan. I'm sorry, I got that mixed up. That was Japan. But Japan got a, a lot of elevated cases too. But South Korea had to do with the... Um, um, uh, church. the church yeah. in Daegu, yeah. um, but but what really helped South Korea, as Professor Natsio said, with the extensive laboratory testing, so they can identify where there were hot spots in their communities and do something about it, with and in, in, in more aggressive in the community mitigation measures. And so, but th- those are just at the macro level can can give you an example of of countries that have done well versus those that have, have not. So, Doc, you said that China took the approach of, of a draconian. Is it was extremely said. draconian. So, can you elaborate what you mean by that for somebody that doesn't know what you mean by that? Well, you know, um, I would just say it's, it's um, um, it was an essentially a complete shutdown of, of uh, and, and forced forced quarantine of of a population of sixty million people, and people were not allowed to leave their house. There was in, enhanced surveillance. Um, police powers, um, uh, information was not flowing, and so that was, I guess I would call the draconian, just um, uh, something that only an authoritarian 
authoritative government like China would, could do. would or could do. They put paper on people's homes with tape. And if you break the tape and go outside, <laughs> the police would come. So you cannot leave your house or you get into trouble with the, with the police. So, so what do you think about the, 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 uh, the threat that's going around saying we may possibly be put on a shutdown? So if you're saying that, you're saying that there's no way in America we're going to be put on shutdown. Because I've lived in Iran before where we were on curfew, shutdown, you couldn't even leave the place. Mm -hmm. And it was a law where the government's going around looking at you to see sure. what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying that's not possible in the U.S.? Well, not like it was not like not it was with happening. the paper. And I'm not with the National Guard coming Not with the National Guard coming to arrest us and, and police power. It's not a police that's state. Just, it's, we're, not a, yes, we're not a police state. Okay. And that yeah. Is, now, yeah, can we take some aggressive social separation measures uh, without having all the kind of authoritarian type of regime? Of course we can. How aggressive? Well, we, we are doing things like now. Universities are, are, are moving to um, uh, distance learning um, and you know, taking social distancing measures. Uh, some uh, industries and, and businesses are maximizing work from home policies. Mm -hmm. Um, there are uh, areas where schools are closing down. In fact, I think I heard this morning that one state, Kansas, uh, the governor, uh, decreed that uh, schools should close for the re remainder of uh, the spring. And uh, so, yes, all, all, all of our classes we're yeah. going to do by We're going to do by distance learning. Are so, you choosing so, to do that or are you no, being we're ordered forced? To, we're you're ordered, ordered to do that. And we can't travel abroad. There's no travel abroad. And who is ordering you? The provost of the university. Okay, got it. She's our ultimate boss. But who's, is anybody forcing her? No, I don't no, think so. No, no, okay. these are just prudent measures under the circumstances of, with a public health um, threat that globally is very high in individual communities. In the United States, you'll see some people say, will say in individual communities the risk may be low, but in some communities the risk is already high. And so we're, we're going to have individual communities across the United States are going to be impacted at various different times. This is not going to just hit the United States all at once. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit individual communities at separate times. And so people are just taking some prudent decisions, trying to keep the students, the faculty, in this case the students and faculty safe, uh, and, and mitigate the loss of life, but also continue with the mission of education. And so, you know, it, that, that to me is not a draconian measure. It's a very prudent, safe, sound measure to continue, in this case, our education mission, keep our students safe. I read an article yesterday from Goldman Sachs um, that was on Forbes, I believe, that said on a call with 1,500 investors, um, you know, they projected that, you know, 50% uh, of America is going to get coronavirus. About 150 million oh, people are going to get coronavirus. That's the data they gave. And 3 million people are going to die because of it. Now, there's, there's this article you're le reading, you've, you've seen the number being thrown mm -hmm. around by other mm -hmm. places, yeah, not just them saying it. Some of them it, are exaggerated. Right, mm -hmm. some of them are exaggerated. Now, there's the flip side is, you know, you heard about China slowing it down and mm -hmm. they're no longer getting the kind of surge that they were getting. But mm -hmm. then you came mm -hmm. back and you're saying the fact that that happened because they fully shut everything down so social distancing work but if you let them loose because some of my friends said i did a conference call at 1 30 today saying people who were buying products and they were doing uh, their businesses based on buying the products from china those factories are now opening up and you can order mm -hmm. from them again so now mm -hmm. business is back to usual for some places for some not place. everywhere mm -hmm. so the cases are not growing as bad as they are so if the cases were able to be controlled in china and we're projecting that we may go to 150 million if it if we don't take care of it 
you know, if you look at those numbers, you know, how long can we really sustain this if right. we go out to space? If we go right. social distances, you're right. talking using, 18 months of X. They're right. using right. models <laughs> to, to project this. And there's, they're very thoughtful people and they're sincere people. But Bob Cadillac, who was uh, uh, Jerry's predecessor, actually we gave him a career award at our annual pandemic summit. We've been having pandemic summits for five years. By the way, our white papers are available on the Bush School website. We've been predicting this would happen, not with we'll the coronavirus. We'll put all the links below, by the way. We'll yes. Put all the links below. Okay. So we've been saying this would happen. We proposed a bunch of things that we thought should happen to prepare the country. And uh, when the president signed the executive order in 2018 on pandemics, which was required by, by statute, uh, he, they took language out of our white papers and put it in the executive order. So they know we were reading it. We passed it up to Congress, both parties, uh, and they followed some things, they ignored some things. The hard things they ignored. That's what usually happens. Mm -hmm. But the, the point here is that uh, once the Chinese put people back in the, uh, in the factories again, it's likely that the, uh, the infection rate is going to go back up again. Not as like it was before, but it could go well go back up again. And that we're seeing that a little bit a in bit. Singapore. A little, a little bit. bit. Mm -hmm. So we don't know whether what's going to happen. But there's some people privately they are saying this, you know, that the social distancing works as long as you keep doing it, but then you can't do it forever. Now, so, so the, the, the question is uh, how long this is going to last, and we, we don't know that. We don't know that. We, yeah, we, we don't know that, but we know I think we can take some lessons, you know, what we're seeing in, in, in China. You know, right. they, they were locked down, and, and um, uh, the cases now are, you know, they're, they're on the downslope of, of, of that uh, epi curve. And that was about two months. Um, and so that, that's what you're seeing, too, with um, Dr. Fauci, who's really our preeminent person in the United States. You know, he is talking about you know, an estimate, and he freely admits, you know, we don't know for sure. But that's the estimate that he's been using. That this may be, you know, two months you know, to get to get down on the on the real downslope of this epi curve. I, I was um, going to quote Bob Cadillac, mm -hmm. uh, right. Jerry's successor, not his colleague, right, colleague, colleague friend. But uh, he said that the models don't work, and the models are that we're predicting these three million people. Uh, but even if you take a much more conservative view, right now the death rate in the United States is 2%. So it's not 1% like Korea, it's not 8% like Italy, it's 2%. Let's say it's going to be 1% because Fauci, when he was testifying before Congress, he used 1%. That's a conservative estimate. That's still 10 times higher mm -hmm. than the death rate for the flu. The flu is one-tenth of 1%. So this is it's a conservative estimate. And if you say... 20% of the people are going to get infected. That's 66 million mm -hmm. people. Say mm -hmm. 1% of 66 million is 1.8 million people. That's a lot of people. And some communities will be hit harder than others. I exactly. would come back just to make sure I got the quote on the models right. Because, um, uh, and it's essentially, because models can be very uh, valuable as well. Yes, they are. Because there are a lot of assumptions, that, you know, yes. models are as good as assumptions that go into it. So going back to what I said, there's still a lot that we don't know. And so we're having to put assumptions of what we, you know, what we can estimate. But at the end of the day, uh, just like hurricanes, you know, when we see a hurricane come out in the Atlantic, how many different model projections are there? A whole bunch of them. You know, as, as a hurricane gets closer to us, then the models start to converge a little bit. So it's kind of analogous to that. So, you know, when we're seeing a hurricane way out in the Atlantic Ocean, um, um, all models actually are very confusing. 
But as it, as time as it gets closer, those models begin to occur, occur and, and then they become more helpful. How bad can this thing get? How ugly? Well, can let me it let get? me let me yeah, let me you know let me kind of go back to some of the statistics too, and why why we need to be really I think, concerned and careful. Yeah. We've heard a lot up until kind of recently. The good news is what well, looks like only eighty percent, eighty one percent of the people it's, it's mild, and that is that is you know the good news. But the unfortunate news is twenty percent are not. And so, you know, actually going back to the biggest cohort, again, from the Journal of, of American Medical Association, which uh, was published uh, by um, China scientists, uh, but has been through pretty thorough peer review, um, you know, 15% um, of those are, are severe, and um, many of those requiring some level of hospitalization, but some of those in that 15% category slide into the critical care. And that critical care is requiring um, um, intensive care, ventilator support, and so forth. So it's really that 5% number that we should be concerned about. And those, you know, the more that we can keep those in that, that severe category from sliding in the, the critical category, because once you slide into that critical category, that's almost a 50% mortality. And, 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 it's, and it's not just a disease of, of, of elderly. Although those over 60 are one of the vulnerable populations, but anybody that has one of these other co comorbidities. And so going back up to the macro level, um, in the United States, there's about 105 million people that kind of fall into the, this, this vulnerable population category. 70% of that 105 million people are actually in the over 65, but 30% of them fall in this 18 to 59 year old category mm -hmm. that happen to have a, a comor comorbidity or underlying health condition. So, so there, there is a report, we're getting them anecdotally, but there's, there was articles in this happening in Europe uh, in the newspapers that younger people below 30 are just ignoring this. Maybe they read the data that, the very, they're, they're, by the way, there's no child under the age of nine who's died. So there are, children can get it, uh, and they show they show symptoms, but it's not severe, and they don't die. Thank heaven. We don't understand why that is. So uh, the, the research eventually will tell us why. But younger people are going to the bars. There, there's I heard reports of uh, comorbidity parties with a lot of kids getting together. Now that's irresponsible to do that, but they should think about their parents and their grandparents because if they get sick, they can get members of their family who are older, who are over 60, sick. And you wouldn't want to be responsible for your grandparents or your parents dying. I'm sure they're not even thinking of that. They say, well, I'm invulnerable. I can't die from this because I'm young and healthy and all that. Well, they can get other people sick. They can get the professors sick, which they Jerry could, and I worry about they, a little bit. They could be an asymptomatic carrier. Exactly. That's right. That's the other thing. They can, people can carry the disease and have no symptoms and not be sick at all. They're the most dangerous because they don't even know they're ill. And, that, and there is some evidence, not, not substantial evidence yet, that there is asymptomatic Yes, cannabis. there is. Mm -hmm. There is. Yeah, if, whether, it's a question of whether there, it's a major driver of the right. transmission. Probably not, but it can happen. Right. Interesting. So, you know, are you hearing about what UK is doing with the herd immunity? Uh, uh, yeah. the, uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Because, you know, somebody asked the question, they said, well, Pat, if... If uh, we know the cases below 50, the death rate is below 1%, and cases above 150 is higher, why don't we do social distancing for those above 50, but below 50, let them go to work because they're not really being affected. Why? So and the so when they come back away. home and their parents are living with them, they're, under, they're not going to die, the ones under 50, 
They go back home, they're infected, and they kill their parents and grandparents? Is that what you're telling me? That doesn't make any sense. The UK is doing that. That's not a bad, it's not so a you, good so, idea. It's so, a terrible so, so, idea. So, so I, I how, hope we don't do it in the United States. So how familiar are you with what well, they are doing? Yeah, let me, yeah, let me, let me, uh, actually, let me go back to models, because this is actually where I think models uh, are, um, the, has, has converged over the years, just on the application of non-pharmaceutical interventions, social distancing. And so the models have pretty much been in agreement over the years, particularly as we studied pandemic influenza, the threat of pandemic influenza, uh, starting back in the 2006-2007 timeframe, and then applied in the 2009 pandemic. The community mitigation or non-pharmaceutical intervention measures, interventions, you have to be pretty aggressive. You can't just uh, pick one demographic, not another demographic. You have to make sure that you're doing things for industry, universities, um, other non-government. You just can't piecemeal a community mitigation measure because the models tell you that's not effective. And that's essentially what you described from the UK would be kind of a piecemeal approach to community mitigation, um, trying to uh, socially separate one demographic versus the others, when in reality you just can't do that. And, and be analogous at the end, of, uh, we can come back to borders in a minute and why, how borders and border closures, what, what effect they may have you know, on, on stopping, you know, ultimately stopping something, but um, we can come to that, but it'd be some, because bo at the end of the day, viruses don't uh, respect and, and no borders and, and boundaries. So there's, a, so you, so UK, herd immunity, is, if you don't mind just explaining sure. what herd immunity is. Well, that's when you have enough people in the population that, that, that haven't uh, um, uh, 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 immunity to a given virus, that the, that there's immunity and the transmission from uh, the virus is going to ultimately die out. And that measles is a good example that we know measles is very infective. Um, and you have to have um, over 95% of the population needs to be immune, uh, which means that's your, your um, you have to have a herd immunity in the population of over 95% to really kind of stop transmission and not have disease. If our herd immunity drops below 95%, we will see transmission of, of measles. Uh, COVID-19, we're not sure what it is yet, but some of the early studies say it's probably in the 60, 65%. We don't know for sure. I'm just, you know, but that's a statistic I'll throw out. And so I don't think what the measures UK are going to uh, do are going to provide enough herd immunity to stop transmission. So they, they, they want 70% of the population to get it so their immune system can fight against it, and then they go back to business as usual. So let me go back to what I was asking. Well, let me you. tell you the other problem with that. <clears throat> herd immunity, by getting the disease, does not always guarantee you won't get it again. Right. And they're, they're, they, we don't have enough scientific research at this point to conclude that getting the, most diseases, if you get one, you build up antibodies, and if you get the disease 10 years later, you, 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 your antibodies will kill it. But we don't know that, because some viruses, that is not the case. And so they're making some assumptions that are, in my view, they're very dangerous Very dangerous. Very dangerous assumptions. The assumptions they're making is very dangerous. Yes. So let me, let me ask you the flip side on this. So you're saying... Uh, uh, are you willing to go to work and get the virus and bring it back and, God forbid, somebody that's about 50 in your family that lives with you ends up getting the virus, yeah. right? That's what you said. Okay. So the the flip side to that is if you're saying we cannot get a vaccine for 18 months, I know they did the testing on a vaccine in Washington, and I think they did 45 of them a couple of days ago. They keep testing, and then they're saying it's a record-breaking time. You heard mm -hmm. what uh, mm -hmm. President yep. Trump just said a couple hours ago, that fastest record-breaking time of the progress they're making, et cetera, et cetera. But you're still saying 18 months. 
For a vaccine? For a vaccine. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And so the record, what it is record-breaking progress that we're making in vaccine development. And, and, and we're today we're, we're able to use new tools that are essentially allowing us to design uh, a new vaccine candidates. The operative word here is candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, based that on means options, ba- based on right. the the, um, the the genetic sequence. So the op- the operative right. word candidate that means it's still an experimental phase. And so the good news is at least you know there's at least what I've seen in the data. There's at least twenty companies, universities, or twenty vaccine candidates in development from private sector or universities. So that's twenty vaccine candidates going in in some phase of very early discovery development and beginning to go into from preclinical to clinical phase one studies. Phase one study is just the first clinical study. There's a phase two study that follows a phase one study. There's a phase three study that follows a phase two study. And the phase one is only looking at safety. Is there any untoward safety um, observations in a very small study of humans? Phase two is a larger cohort, maybe 200, maybe five to 200 to 500 people, uh, and it's per, and the and the vaccine candidate is produced at a little bit larger scale under good manufacturing quality control standards, and it also looks at safety, but it begins to look at does the vaccine produce an effective immune response? It's not it's not tested in in against the virus in a hot spot. Phase three. Is, is then when you begin to use a more commercially scalable type manufacturing process for that vaccine candidate that's still an experimental stage and put it in a larger population to really look at clinical efficacy in a, in a hot spot and to see whether the vaccine is working against the, the virus. Those stages and that va- manufacturing, advanced development manufacturing and quality control take a long time and it's hard to shorten that out. So the projections of, of what Dr. Fauci says that it's probably going to be 12 to 18 months before we have a vaccine that's deployable, deployable and moves from a vaccine candidate, experimental, to a licensed product or a product that can be used under emergency use authorization where we have enough confidence that the vaccine doesn't ca- cause untoward side effects and it might have efficacy. Those, those things we can't shortcut. Those, those steps. Because I mean, if you do one that's only 75% effective and there's another one that's 92% effective, don't you think we should know that before we start selling the, th- the stuff? And you want to make sure it doesn't have safety problems. Exactly. What if it has a side effect no one anticipated? Well, I mean, you, you want, uh, we were all in the military, guys, and you know yes. we were getting all these vaccines oh, saying your yes. military property, <laughs> you're taking this, and, you know, there's risk that later on you can have a three-third ear on your forehead. But, you know, you're, since you're military property, you got there. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. You I can't was, tell uh, you don't remember well, that. Well, yeah. I, I remember I was in military medical research so and development. I remember those days. I was one you were testing on. you were testing. Most of those vaccines, our soldiers including me, received, uh, were licensed. There was a period in the Gulf War that some were, re- were used on an emergency investigation. They did that to us in the Gulf War. An, an investigational do, new drug <laughs> status, but there's been, there was decades of, of use and laboratory researchers like me that um, uh, <laughs> told us that you know, we understood the safety profile and the efficacy profile, but the vaccines that we get in the military have been FDA licensed. It was just, you know, we didn't like it because we were getting a lot of shots at one time is what we didn't like. So here's a, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. So 
if you're saying 12 to 18 25 he's saying 12 to 18 yeah. months you're saying 12, and i agree 18 with that months. i think that's extremely aggressive because of it the is extremely aggressive it is not it even is. 12 to 18 months. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. But it let's is. just say they can pull it off because Trump's going to put pressure on them and they're going to yep. do 12 months. Okay, fine. At what point are do you think, best case scenario, we'll have it ready that if we have a million cases, we can give a million people vaccines? It, could that be yeah, 12 months? Yeah, we, but you don't give it to them when yeah. they have the. You give it to them before they get sick. So it's right, like a flu shot. You right. get it when the season's so, coming. So at some point. So then that means you have to give it to 100 million people. It's that's not like correct. you're giving it to a million. Yeah, that's well, correct. let me let me uh, let, let me put a perspective on. So some point in this um, this development of phase one, phase two, phase three, there could be some point in a phase through three area where we're beginning to see that we're not seeing untoward side effects or, or safety issues, and we're seeing some evidence that's, that's effective. There could be a point before it's actually licensed if everybody, you know, the scientific community it would come to a conclusion that maybe uh, this vaccine can, we can go ahead and begin to use it before it gets FDA licensed under what's called an emergency use authorization because there is growing evidence and sufficient data that would warrant its safety and, and efficacy in a, in a, with the risk, uh, a, a, an elevated risk. Now, there wouldn't be probably the, the scale that might be need, needed, but we could also then think about who would be prioritized to get a, a vaccine in, in, limited, spots, in, in limited quantities yeah. in hotspots. And yeah. so who would that be? It, well, you know, we, we, uh, we are putting our healthcare workers in on the front line of this. And so we would have to think about, you know, is it our healthcare workers? Is it our, is it is it the, the the population that's you know most at risk? But those are some of the kind of ethical questions that would have to be addressed, you know, at that time. And we're going to have some ethical questions right now, and just you know, hospital preparedness as well. So so let me ask you a question. Here's cases. Okay, I'll just give you cases. The number on how it's doubling. You've seen this before. And this, this is okay. Yeah. So I got, I got a question for you with what we're seeing with charts on assuming. Uh, these cases keep doubling. And I ran it at four days, six days, and 10 days. And this is just U.S. In four days, if it doubles every four days, we're looking at 8 million cases by May 1st, just in U.S. Let's just say that's too aggressive, four days. Let's take it to six days. Six days, uh, we'll be at uh, 4 million by May 19th, okay, if it's six days. 4 million. That's still a big number by, by 519. If it doubles every 10 days, we're looking at September 4th, all of U.S., July 2nd, 4 million cases. If we got 4 million cases and we use the 2% number, 4 million, 2%, 80,000. 80,000 is seven times bigger than what we had with the H1V1 in, uh, in uh, right. 2009, 2010 with Barack Obama. We right. had, what, 57 million cases? Right. I don't know right. the exact number, right. but we had uh, right. quite mm -hmm. a... Uh, mm -hmm. So if we're going this direction, okay, if we're going this direction... And, and, and we're looking at the numbers that way. It's going to double at that rate. Okay, uh, we don't have the vaccine. We're not going to have it for 12 months to give it to people, 12 to 18 months. What, what are we doing there? We, have, we, don't we have, have the drug. Well, that's why, that's why, that's why yeah, we need actually, the drug. You know, we, we, I think you're putting way too much emphasis just on the vaccine solution. And that's why... So we the, have the solution right now with a drug to fix it? No, not now. Uh, you're putting way too much emphasis on a medical countermeasure as the fix right now. Because public health measures are actually tried and true, and 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 we were talking about the co you know, community mitigation, uh, community uh, social distancing measures are going to be very effective, and they're buying us some time until the antivirals or the vaccines come on. So, next question. so the that's why what we're doing right now in sure. the social separate community 
um, social distancing interventions are essential because those numbers are kind of frightening. And you're, all, you're also assuming we'll know the numbers because we have enough laboratory diagnostic capability. Uh, but that's another, you know, and that's another, you know, we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, but uh, but you're you're really explaining kind of the, you know, the the classic rules of epidemiology and and the you know, the doubling and the replication. Uh, and this is we're we are still in an exponential growth phase of what we can see of what and we've been able to diagnose. Exponential growth. So this is not a linear growth. It doesn't go from one case to two no cases to three. It. Mm -hmm. it it doubles and then it doubles again and then doubles again. Yes. That's the, the that's what exponential means and that's very dangerous. Sure. That's why there's a huge risk to this. Jerry is and this is where we might disagree <laughs> a little bit. Okay, I think that I don't think the American people in a democracy are going to take are going to show the discipline, particularly younger people, mm -hmm. to to implement, they should. I'm not mm -hmm. saying they shouldn't. I'm saying that they, they, I think we're going to have trouble with it after two or three months of this. Oh, yeah, we can't go okay? that long. Yeah. And if we don't have uh, drugs that can kill the virus, by the end of that period, we're going to have trouble. So, so I think the most important is not to focus on the vaccine. The president is focusing on the vaccine. That, in my view, that's a mistake because it's too far into the mm -hmm. future. The, the, the measure that's going to relieve us from, and the economy, from this, uh, the damage that's being done, is these uh, drugs that already exist, they're simply testing them to see whether they're effective against this disease. That is what is going to allow us to relax these social uh, measures that are, 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 are the thing to do now. And we need to emphasize to young people, they cannot simply dismiss this and go to a bar right. and have fun with their friends. That is, does not work. It defeats the whole purpose of this. If people behave that way, I, I, I think that part's fine, it, it, and, and I think they'll adjust to that with the bar part because, you know, yesterday I'm going to eat something lunchtime. I go, I'm not going. Let me go to uh, neighborhood services. Oh, closed. Let me go to. It's closed. Then I went to Hop Daddy. Uh, we're closed, but we can. You can order, and we'll bring the food outside. Okay, mm -hmm. it's a sit-down place. But I mm -hmm. sat outside. They brought the food. I took the food. I came to the mm -hmm. office. Okay, mm -hmm. that works. If bars start shutting down, people know Friday, Saturday night. You know, the, my concern isn't that. So. So the, what the good news you just gave is that because so many people are just talking about vaccines and we're relying on this vaccine, it's putting the fear in people, assuming that's going to take 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. That's very concerning for the average person. Sure. You're saying we may, the, the, the entrepreneurs and scientists, if they team up together, they can come out with the right medication to help slow it down or, you know, do anything to it. And treat it if people get treat it. it. Yeah. And that could happen. That realistically now, the problem can happen is, in the next four, eight, The problem weeks. is, even if they do all this science, there is the issue yeah. that the Chinese have effectively, by subsidizing their pharmaceutical industry over the last 10 years, have bankrupted our pharmaceutical companies that produce the basic elements. It's called API, active pharmaceutical ingredients. We're getting to the bad. We're getting, this is the bad. This is very bad. Is it ugly or not ugly? Well, it's, it's ugly. Yeah, I think it's, it's ugly. ugly. Okay, so this okay. qualified ugly right yes, now. Yes, there's a book called, called China RX. We didn't write the book, okay? And it's on this subject. It's been a systematic attempt to bankrupt not just American companies, Japanese companies, uh, European companies from producing pharmaceuticals. 80% of German drugs are dependent on China. 80% of our drugs are dependent on China. So if the, the pandemic continues in China, and you're Xi Jinping, what are you going to do? Export all those drugs to the United States and Europe? No. You're going to keep them inside the country and treat your own people. I would expect him to do that. But we have allowed this to happen. This is a national security issue. I am for free trade. I actually believe globalization is a good thing because it's 
taken millions of people out of poverty, it's reduced costs, it's improved the quality of products, it's made a globalized world. A lot of people hate capitalism, and I'm not one of those, okay? However, we don't allow our defense, our weapons systems to be produced in other countries. There's a reason for that, because it's a national security question. We need to produce those weapons in the United States for our military. We need to do that for pharmaceuticals as well, as mm -hmm. well as, as Jerry said earlier, medical disposables, like mm -hmm. the face masks. Mm -hmm. the, we don't have enough ventilators now. So there are measures that affect the survival of the American people, and there needs to be a complete rethinking of this. Now, did the pharmaceutical companies deliberately try to bankrupt themselves? Of course not. They didn't do that. The Chinese did it by subsidizing their own pharmaceutical companies to become the dominant force in pharmaceutical, uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients which are necessary to make the drugs for the whole world, not just for us. And we need to address this issue, and, and we, that's not for right now, but it's, it's soon. Mm -hmm. We need to deal with it soon because if we get the drugs, mm -hmm. the question is, we get the drugs approved through these scientific tests, we then have to produce them, right? Can we? Well, what, can we produce them? I don't know. I don't know which We're drugs are produced out. where. <laughs> we'll find out. When you quickly. say, I don't know, what do you mean you don't know? Like, we literally don't know? No, I'd say we, we've just lost, we've offshored a lot of our pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, biologics or vaccines, um, antibodies. Not all, but we've offshored a lot, a lot of our actual manufacturing. We have a very, very strong research base in the United States and kind of early discovery and early development, but we, we've offshored a lot of, a lot of uh, manufacturing. And we need to bring it home. So one, uh, and, one and I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something about the vaccine too, because we 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 need to this COVID vaccine that is being developed. One of the one of these candidates is going to be successful, I hope. And um, we need to make sure that we uh, whatever whatever one is successful, or several that are successful, we need to make sure we're manufacturing here at home. And and this vaccine will be important in 18 months or whenever it does get licensed, because. Um, there, many believe that um, you know we, we will get through this. I mean, there's going to be this epi curve if it's, if it's two months, but it may come back and it may become endemic, uh, you know, and, and like other viruses become. And that's when the vaccine is going to be very important if it does become in, endemic. Can, can you break that down for somebody that's oh, not so, in the um, world? Yeah. So um, if we look at uh, compare to um, influenza, and so we have um, many circulating uh, strains of, of the influenza virus. And influenza is the flu. Is a flu. Is right. a flu. And so we have flu. Is uh, all these different strains are endemic in our society. And and every year we have to really develop a new flu vaccine every year based on the circulating uh, strain of flu in a given year, given season. And so flu is endemic. It continues to continues to excuse me uh, evolve uh, genetically, and that's why a new vaccine is always always needed. So this virus may act similarly to that. We don't know yet, uh, but because it is circulating around the world already, um, almost every country now is, has got coronavirus, and we're probably not going to be able to completely get rid of it. And so therefore, it will probably be you know, in, in, in our, um, at a much lower level, and it may peak up at some times, but that's, a vaccine is going to be very, very critical for us to have in case it does become endemic. Usually, as a population, we're kind of getting back to some you know, herd health and population, we'll begin to develop you know, some immunity just by natural exposure to it, and some of the population will become, you know, um, if we were to get infected, then hopefully our, our signs are you know, less severe in the future. So it sounds like you like what UK is doing. I mean, 
mean, you're, you're going not, not urgently, indirectly. Not, not, you're not indirectly. Not, no, 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 no. We want herd immunity, <laughs> in the long but term. not this way. In the long not term. The way they're okay. In the long so, term. <laughs> so, so, in other words, uh, uh, what you were talking about is the fact that the virus is constantly evolving. So, if it's constantly oh, evolving, mm-hmm. we have to also make sure the vaccine is constantly evolving. Well, that evolving. would be. So, we don't know enough about COVID. And, and it may not evolve as rapidly as what doesn't flu. evolve. Is there a vac- is there a virus? Yeah, that st- measles is a very stable. Doesn't virus. Evolve, doesn't evolve. It's no, pretty much very the same. stable. So, so if stable. you okay. if you had measles when you were a kid, yeah, and you didn't because you didn't get the the uh, the immunization the vaccine, you're not going to get measles the rest of your life because the the, the your body your, your you know where your, your body fought it off. That's so. right, and they've developed antibody. You know where we store our anti- I did not know this until my wife became ill. We store store our antibodies in our bone marrow. So our army, our Marine Corps, <laughs> our 101st Airborne is in our bone marrow. Wow. And when no a disease, I like bone marrow. <laughs> when the when the disease comes out, the 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 army of antibodies says this is disease in here. We're going to kill this thing, and they march out and they search all over our whole body and they kill all the viruses. So that's the whole idea of a vaccine. You want to build up the antibodies before you get the disease so you don't have to get it to develop the antibodies. So two ways to develop the antibodies. You can get a vaccine, which doesn't give you the disease, or you can get the disease, and that's how you get protection. Let me go back to the question with the medication you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay, How fast, if we are absolutely crushing it, how fast can we come out with some kind of a medication to help with coronavirus? I think that's going to be very fast. I, I'm not going to give you a month other than in a range of maybe two to six months. Two to six months. And, and, and that's what I'm hearing. Okay. And that's because it's we're able to repurpose antivirals that are already FDA licensed, are in development, well down the development pipeline for other indications. For and other so, diseases. Other diseases. Right. Okay, and, so two to six so, months. Yeah, and, and that's that's those are some of the estimates I've heard from, from others as, as well. But that's only because... They're, they're um, already licensed for another indi- indication, and initial data looks like they may be effective against COVID. Um, and so these could be repurposed relatively quickly uh, if all that, you know, the clinical trials, uh, you know, prove out to what, what the data looks like <laughs> right now. I, I don't know the information of, you know, how available, how much, you know, how, how large a manufacturing base is for those antivirals. Um, but uh, I know that that has to be uh, being looked at right now very, very seriously. Okay. So you're saying uh, uh, th- you started off with the good news and you've gone back to the same word multiple times, both of you. You're sticking to your gun, social distancing, social distancing, social distancing, right? That's the only tool we have at the moment. Uh, is it fair to say you're above 50? Uh, what do you mean? Age-wise. Oh, I'm in the vulnerable population. So, <laughs> so, so I, I, I wanted know. you to say, yeah, okay. I'm, so, 70. I'm 70 years okay, old. I want to put you at 70. I'll put you at a different number lower than that, but okay. Oh, I was going to say, that's good. I thought no, you were going to say I know, I, I, That's why I said about 50. So if you're saying social distancing, why are you sitting so close to me? And why are you getting well, close to five other people because here? Because there are two you're, million people who may listen to your program and listen to our advice and stop infecting other people by listening to what Jerry and I are mm-hmm. saying in terms of social mm-hmm. distancing. We didn't drive three more hours up here just to be seen on TV. We go on the TV all the time. But your program is devoted to this, and we're hoping some people will take the advice, particularly younger people, and be more restrained in interacting with other people. And by the mm-hmm. way, the president's instruction, which comes from CDC, from, mm-hmm. from our scientists, say groups smaller than 10. 
We mm. have not met 10 people today. We didn't go even get five other people in here <laughs> real quickly? <laughs> no, no. We did not stop and eat because of this. We ate before we came. We're going to eat when we get back home today. Okay. So, so this leads me to the question I've been trying to ask you this entire time. So if we go at this pace, social distancing, okay. So if, if profits for companies go lower and lower and lower and lower, you know what happens. Yep. Companies oh, have to lay off. Right. So you saw the article on CNN, which uh, the experts are talking about unemployment can go to 20%. I'm sure right. you've seen that. Okay. So when's the last time we saw 20%? A long time ago. I mean, we're depression. talking about Great Depression, 20%. Right. Right. Okay. So you, you look at this and you say, okay, there's two communities. You know how they say people right. vote with their pocket? You know right. how they say people vote right. with their pocket? I think people also uh, do research or data or anything also with their situation. Let me explain it and please challenge me here if sure. I'm wrong. Okay. So if I'm 70 years old or if I'm 60 years old, I'm probably telling everybody social distance. Okay. But if I'm 30 years old and I got a wife and two kids and I got a $2,500 mortgage payment, I got a job and expenses with only $25,000 in the bank, I can't social distance for too long. So I'm sitting here watching these 67 year olds keep constantly saying social distance, social distance. You already have your pension. You already have a million dollars that's going to pay you for the rest of you already relying on a retirement from the military. You can social distance. I can't social right. distance. You put me in a tough position. What do you say to that community? Yeah, well, but wait, wait a second. Wait a second. This person, most people don't work for themselves. They work in, in, in an institution. Who's the CEO and the vice president? They're probably older people because people have to have experience to run. You start killing off the people who are running American industry. Now, some people who are hostile to the American system say, well, let's kill all the capitalists off. We want all the CEOs, the vice presidents, middle managers. No, I'm not saying you're <laughs> no, saying I'm it. saying if you're my CEO, I'd say, dude, go home. Go stay. You go home. Let us run the company. We got jobs. We got to make money. Mm -hmm. But don't because you want to Because they cannot isolate themselves from every single older person in the society. It does not work. They cannot isolate. No, I'm not talking about isolate yourself. I'm telling you if the 70-year-old... Well, that's year what old, you have to. If, if you're telling the rest of us, anybody over 50 years old or 60 years old, that they should stay home this whole time, that's what you're saying. No, no, you're saying social distance. I'm saying, say social distance to people above 50. But the people that are less than 1% risk of dying... Let them continue the economy going. Because if we had 20% of unemployment, you know what comes after 20% unemployment. If you go to look at the cities that is the highest level of crime, what do they have in common? Well, I, I know what you're... Con I, know, I know the economic consequences. So you know how the economic consequences yes. of this could be. So the no, risk we're, we're taking is we're assuming we know how bad this thing could be. We have some data to show based on the cases that it's less than 1% for people mm -hmm. about below 50. Maybe UK is taking a decent approach that we ought to consider with people below 50. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So if you are the CEO of a company in your 70, mm -hmm. listen, sir, thank you so much for the job. You there stay are, home, you run conference the, the calls. The problem is there are a lot of people under 50, which is what we're seeing in Italy now. There's an uptick of people in their early 40s and late 30s being hospitalized in Italy with severe mm -hmm. consequences from this virus. A professor told me that that's due to high blood pressure because of 75%. I don't know, I need that's to introduce correct. you to this professor. And guess how many of the 30% of Americans who have high blood pressure are younger? And how many Americans are obese? You know how many Americans are obese? It's a 35% of the and population. And they're not all old men. You're right. Okay, it's a women. very big number. I okay. can't dispute that part. And so there are people, people get cancer who are young. They have... Um, they have uh, uh, HIV AIDS. I mean, they may be on antiretrovirals now for that. Okay, so there are people with other comorbidities, other diseases, diabetes, that make them more vulnerable 
and, and they are under age. It's not just by age. It's not just by age. It's yeah. also by yeah. these other diseases. A big factor of it is also age, though. When you look at it, I know you, what you're mm -hmm. saying. I know I saw the asthma part, the high blood pressure, you know, uh, obesity. You're seeing this data that's coming sure. up. Yes, but, you know, there's still an opportunity to continue the economy going if we got some people that can go back mm -hmm. to work and continue their jobs. Because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we had a guy that called me and says, hey, Pat, uh, we had one of our guys. He says, we had a uh, person that was here who they take a lot of, uh, what do you call the students that come here that they're not from U.S., but they live with them. What, what are the international? Uh, uh, foreign exchange, foreign exchange mm -hmm. students, right? Yes, yeah. So foreign exchange students staying with us, and one of the foreign exchange students that had stayed with them was uh, from China, right? Mm -hmm. So next thing you know, he came here, he went and visited a family, came back somehow, some way, they ended up getting coronavirus. So I said, okay, you know, I, I had it. What did it feel like? Dry cough, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I was feeling the mm -hmm. same thing. It was two weeks. It was stronger than the mm -hmm. flu. I kind of had no clue what was going on. Then I realized that's what I had, but I'm over it. And mm -hmm. I experienced it and I'm gone, right? Mm -hmm. To me, uh, my wife and I are talking, please challenge me on this as, mm -hmm. as much as you want. I am, I am wanting you to challenge on what I'm about to say here. My wife and I are sitting down. I said, babe, listen, here's what's gonna change this challenge that we're facing today, okay? And this isn't even my main question I wanna ask you this entire time. My main question I'm gonna to get to here in a minute. I said, babe, the world has to see thousands of people get coronavirus on the news, on TV, on YouTube, doing a video saying, I have coronavirus. Here's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm doing. So if anybody's watching as they got mm -hmm. coronavirus, the best thing you can do to help the world is document it and put it on YouTube mm -hmm. so we can see what you're going through. Here's a symptom. This is my age. This is what I weigh. This is my height. I need to be this weight. Mm -hmm. I have been diagnosed with high blood pressure. I've never been diagnosed with high blood pressure. That has given us intel. Mm -hmm. So once the world kind of sees all this data and comes back and says, okay, it's a virus. Mm -hmm. It's bad. Mm -hmm. We got to be careful. But mm -hmm. you know what? We can get past it if we get it as well. Yeah. So then comes the acceptance that we can overcome it if, to, if we do get it. What is your thoughts on the way I'm viewing this? Because any other way, I'm seeing us going like this till the end of the year, because if we don't find this in the next six months, 20% unemployment may be a small number compared to where it could be six months from now. Well, every epidemic, and you've seen, you've seen Dr. Fauci talk about this, this is epi curve. And, um, and, and what we're trying to do is, is flatten that curve because the consequences of that curve being very rapid and very steep is that you are going to have a lot of people uh, from the 18 to the over 60 they're going to fall in this critical category and um, we, we are going to have a higher death rate whatever the age may be and we're going to have our hospitals overwhelmed and you're going to have physicians have to make extremely difficult decisions who lives and who dies and 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 actually i would i think it would be a good idea if you could probably interview some children and young kids um, from italy who actually probably had to um, deal with their parents dying in Italy to COVID and probably not even being able to see their parents buried. And so this, this is gonna have you know, huge impacts on, on, on kids and young people when, they're gonna, when they lose their family members. And so that's you know, something that needs you know, to be thought about as, as well. Um, you know, I get your point, you know, and I, you know, you know, the economic impacts and, and younger people, it's a very, very good, good question. Um, but I also don't want to see our country end up where we have, um, 
um, our, our, our ICUs and our hospitals just completely overwhelmed and we're having to make decisions and, and about who lives, who dies, and crisis standards of care. And that, that would be a fundamental shock to our country if we got into that kind of situation. And that's what's happening in Italy right now. That's I, the difference between an 8% death rate in Italy, which is extremely high. It's three times higher than the flu was in 1918. And a 1% rate, less than 1% rate in South Korea. And remember, we don't know really what the true death rate is. Right. Because you know, we don't know what the denominator, that means we don't know exactly how many number of cases there are because we don't, Italy has more diagnostic capability than we do. But even if it's 1% in a given community, that can overwhelm a hospital system, a, a system in a given community where, you, where attending physicians and so forth are having to make these, these very, very horrible kind of decisions. It, 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 uh, South Korea is fine because I think they're number two in the amount of hospital beds per thousand people they have. And Japan is number one on uh, the list for, I think, 13.03. I think South Korea was like 12.05. And in the U.S. is like 2.8 beds per thousand. Uh, we have 924,100 beds, of which 60-something percent is being used. We only have 300,000 available beds. And then outside of that, the ventilators, the machines that we keep hearing about, that we don't have that many of that available. New York Times today, uh, yesterday just said that we, uh, New York needs 18,000 of those in the next two to four weeks. So that's that part I fully see as a big challenge of not having the capacity to handle. And that. I don't know who's going to run those ventilators. You know, the other part is the healthcare workers having the respiratory technicians, having the uh, you know the pulmonologist. And I don't so worry about that part. You know, I don't worry about that part because <clears throat> we, the two of you have experience where you know in the field. In the in the the other day, I, I uh, interviewed a sergeant major of Iraq, Iraqi mm-hmm. military. Yeah. He was a 19 year old sergeant major. I said, "How the hell are you a 19 year old sergeant major?" He says. When Saddam fell mm-hmm. and Iraq started the new military, mm-hmm. they only had 25 soldiers and nobody wanted to be a sergeant major because ah. you were the number one person they wanted to kill. And I yeah. said, I'll do it. So yeah. I became a sergeant major. You know how back yep. in the days, yep. hey, you're a corporal. I haven't done the correspondence. You're now a sergeant. Hey, you're a sergeant. You know, people were getting promoted in war. So mm-hmm. I think that's, that's not really the big concern from my end. The, the, thing, the, the, the way I'm processing this with the economy is, are we comfortable the economy fully going into shambles. Like, you know, no, it, it, the, the part that the part that concerns me, I remember in Army, I think you had to be younger than 35 to join the Army. And the reason why I remember this, I had a guy in my camp, at my boot camp, who had been in the Army before. He got out, but it had been 10 years since he got back into the Army because he owed like $40,000 of credit cards and the Army agreed to pay off his $40,000 of credit card. But he was 34, mm-hmm. and he told me the age was 35, right? Mm-hmm. So why is it 35? Why can't a 50-year-old go to boot camp, right? Mm-hmm. A 50-year-old doesn't go to boot camp, but in military mm-hmm. says, listen, we just don't want a 50-year-old going to boot camp. We mm-hmm. want the oldest 35. Mm-hmm. And if you think about going to war, how many people go to front lines? It's not the 40-year-old. It's not the 50-year-old. It's mm-hmm. the 22-year-old, 18-year-old, 11 Bravo that's going to be at yep. the front lines. Mm-hmm. Why not treat it the same way? Let the younger guys that are driving the economy, let them go to work and do their part if their immune mm-hmm. system is that strong mm-hmm. to it. Because if we don't, and this thing goes the way it is, uh, you remember... You, you, you know, one of the things that's going to happen here, American capitalism, there's a reason why it's a superior system to government-run businesses in China, for example, it is they, they are extremely adaptive. For example, businesses... and Restaurant. My, oh. my <coughs> Greeks are in, I'm a Greek-American, Greeks dominate the, the restaurant business in the United States. They're finding ways now to say, okay, you can't come to our restaurant. Choose what you want online, and we'll deliver it. And I'm getting more and more emails from the restaurants. Mm-hmm. My wife and I like to go out to eat. We haven't started doing it. We're going to start doing that. 
Okay, so there are ways to adapt. I yeah, thought all the mean, universities yeah. were gonna have to be closed. I learned okay. how to use Zoom. Sure. I did not mm -hmm. know how complex Zoom sure. is. But you can run an entire classroom from your, I wanna be, ha I, we have to have etiquette because one of the professors was saying some of the kids did not know that you could see them and they were the men weren't wearing shirts you know <laughs> or they had inappropriate pictures on their walls the men or the women the, well, the, men, the men men should okay, be because you it. can see the picture yeah. everybody can see we have a guy who does that hector's his name he likes to wear the tank tops but okay yeah. well i'm going to tell my kids they got to be properly dressed and no inappropriate pictures on the walls of the room in which they have the zoom going on these are sort of etiquette things never even occurred to me but I got training for two hours yesterday, and I'm 70 years old. I'm adapting to this new distance learning, they call it. I never <laughs> thought I would use distance learning, but I am going to do it Monday morning. So, you so know, and we're not, we understand the economic impacts. Oh, we're well, not I'm saying not minimizing we, in fact, that. This is going to be part of our, our, our research in the Pandemic and Biosecurity Policy Center for years is trying to understand the economic impacts of this. We have to, we have to find ways to uh, try to mitigate the economic impacts. It's not gonna be easy. They, 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 you can't separate uh, the two. These are gonna be tough challenges. And the administration actually is trying to find you know, new measures. They are, and, and Congress, they are, they are beginning to address this. Is it gonna address everything? I'm sure it's not. Are we gonna address everything we need to do for the COVID from a public health medical perspective? I'm sure we're not. You know, and so both have got to be tackled and tackled very aggressively. So, so, so I'll give you the flip side. Again, I'm going to keep challenging you. And you guys, I've been challenged by doctors and professors my sure. entire life, so I enjoy it. Okay? It's like I. Oh, we do too. I, I, this is what I look forward to. Okay. So you said Greeks, restaurants, we're going to do it this way. Teachers, you're seven years old. Yesterday, you're learning how to do Zoom, and you got to make sure that these guys put a shirt on before you can teach them whatever you're teaching <laughs> I'm them. Just, right? okay, just I'm being guys, a little bit humorous now. Uh, I okay. get it. I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> but if I get one of my guys a hard time, I'm going to hear from him. But, but uh, how do I Zoom someone on a plane to New York? H how do I Zoom uh, a gym that is filled with so much metal where they're saying that the coronavirus can live on a metal for 12 to 24 hours. How do, how do gyms Zoom? You know, how, how do many businesses that you have to Zoom? I mean, I understand Zooming if I'm a personal trainer, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I understand if I'm an accountant and I'm Zooming, I'm fine. I, I even think doctors can Zoom because there's business models right now that is built on that, but sure. not, every yeah, not, every not every business. Yeah, not every business. So, I know, I understand so, that. So, so, so how do you explain that to the flight attendant that's making $59,000 a year there saying, what do I do be, about There this? have to be federal interventions, and that's mm -hmm. what they're talking about. I have mm -hmm. to say, given the very, very partisan nature and polarization of our political system, I am shocked yes. and pleased and how much the Democrats and Republicans are getting together to address this challenge now. The, the partisan rancor seems to actually have diminished, yes. like it did during World War II. So uh, they are beginning to get stuff that done. That is a great thing they to are, see. Really You're are. saying like Kukumo, you know, Governor uh, <laughs> New York yes. and uh, Correct. tweeting Correct. out and, Correct. you know, you never thought that was going to take place never. in Trump. So, so, so I, I, I think when your challenge was something of this magnitude, then people start getting together, and they're, they, there's a lot of things that can be done if people put aside the egos and the mm. partisanship. Now, it's unfortunate it's a presidential election year, but it is, that's what it is, and that's the way it is. But, uh, you still didn't answer my question, though. Well, but, but some of these things you cannot fix. You, the airlines are in big trouble. 
We don't want the airlines to go bankrupt. I understand that. You saw Boeing. I, Boeing needs a bailout, right? I, I am. I am in. Uh, I, I go on planes all the time. So does Jerry. Yeah, We're traveling we constantly. Travel so we don't want the planes mm -hmm. go bankrupt mm -hmm. and the economy recovers. We need the airlines to be whole. So there are a lot of things that have to be considered. This is small not businesses have to be considered. What yep. the consequences for uh, small businesses in the United States? I'll give you the last crazy yeah, one. This is not going to go on forever. We I are going to have it's to. Not. It's not going to go on forever. But but we got to mitigate its severity, and we got to mitigate the economic impacts. No doubt about it. If we don't find a medication for two, uh, two months from now, and vaccines not here for twelve to eighteen months, and they're still preaching uh, uh, social distancing. And now they're paying a thousand dollars a month to every American. That that idea was brought up by Andrew Yang, which was a back in the day negative mm -hmm. tax that Milton Friedman used to talk about. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, then oh, it's going to be another month and another month and another month, right? Where the, the social distancing, the, the peak, there's always in an outbreak. It's going to go up and it's going to come down. And we, we are trying to mitigate the peak of that that outbreak. So it's lower. So it's lower. And the social distancing measures are going to be needed lo just long enough to lower the peak before they can be pulled off. Social mes mes interventions are not going to need to be going until we have an antiviral, until we have a, a vaccine, because uh, the, the peak will come down at some point when there's enough people infected. Um, and, but we, so at some point, they're going to, we're going to be able to pull these off. Um, but right now, we need to be really aggressive. And we have to, you know, think in terms of weeks rather than days. So my, my, the Orthodox Church I go to, <laughs> Orthodox never change anything. It's the same as it's been in the first century, which is why I like it. Okay, all right, we have a young priest. And I said, Father, you know, we can't have services now. The Archdiocese has said no services. All the altar boys and the choir and the priest, and that's it. I said, well, what about the rest of us? He's putting in a, um, maybe I shouldn't say this in the area, he's putting in a TV camera that we can all participate in the Divine Liturgy, which is a very calming thing. If you're, in, if you're under severe stress, your, your religious devotion makes a difference, calms people down. 100%. So he's going to put in a very inexpensive, and he's going he's to, in real time, now we won't be able to take the Eucharist, but it, it is, it, you know, it's a, it's a very innovative, innovative way of using technology. My wife's Catholic. She's doing the, her, her church is doing the same thing. Has, has the priest on the Catholic side, like, has the level of forgiveness gone up? Like, are they a little bit more lenient <laughs> right now than before? Like, Father, I have sinned. He's I like, am. listen, right now everyone's forgiven. Don't worry about it. But, you know, if, you're, if your priest is able to zoom heaven, his church is going to blow up. <laughs> if he can zoom heaven right now, it's game over, right? <laughs> Let me tell you what I've come up with. You want to talk to your grandpa? Have him right here with me. That's game changing. That's game changing, right? Everybody forgets about everything else. So, you look, my concern with the economy is, is uh, I'm just, you're in the world and I'm trying to see what you're thinking about with this whole thing because, you know, I also remember there was a time where under another administration, I think it was in 2011 or 12, where unemployment benefits were paying off for 24 months, if you remember, it was 24 mm -hmm. months. And then they kept saying, well, people can't have a job. And at the moment unemployment went to 12 months, next thing you know, everybody started applying jobs and getting jobs. So my concern is also if people are not working and we're just kind of subsidizing and they're getting, right. well, not, you know, uh, giving them money and they're right. taking care of everything for them. Then when it comes back down to right. going and work, then they're not used to working 40, 50 hours a week. What are we going to do after that? Yeah, but the, the, the data shows from previous epidemics 
that it's a V, it's a V cur or a V. Uh, so the economy collapses and it bounces mm -hmm. extremely quickly back up again. Mm -hmm. It's not like we had structural hu huge structural problems I've seen with that. debt in two thousand eight. This is not the same yeah. thing as two thousand eight. It took years to rebuild the financial system. We're not facing that in this case. 2008 is greed. 2008 has nothing to do with this. This is, the, I know, this is more 9-11 than it is 2008. That is exactly yeah. the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly That's right. the point. Yeah. We're right. not facing a 10-year recession or a 5-year right. recession. It's, it's going to be a quick rebound after we get control of this. And so that's will. good news. That's no, very good news. news. We got that's some the, more good news. That's the very good news <laughs> that's to end good. this line. We got some good news on this news. Now, guys, I'm hoping you have the insight on this because God knows how many memes are blowing up right on Instagram. What the hell is going on with these toilet papers? What? Why toilet paper? <laughs> I don't know why. I, I am, I'm not getting this toilet paper stuff. I don't, I'm not either, frankly. The things, the, the, I understand some of the things at, at the supermarket. Okay, so we went in and, and we didn't overbuy. It's just my wife and our kids have grown up. So all the only thing were green apples. The green apples were all sitting there. I said, people must not like green apples. Okay? That, that's concerning. Cool. That's, well, maybe there's something About the green apples. apples, you know. There are no potatoes left. No onions. Onions for me, the big thing. Onions and the garlic. If the garlic ran out, I'd have big problems eating. You and I both. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you go down. The fish is all there. There's no problem with it because the price is so high. Okay? No chicken whatsoever, no turkey whatsoever, and no beef. The only thing that was left was a little pork. I thought that was interesting. But then you go down, <laughs> see the toilet paper and the... Um, the uh, hand sanitizer. towels, the sanitizer, oh, yeah. and the sanitizer. I've been trying to get sanitizers, not just one bottle, for three weeks. I go in early in the morning. I go in late at night. I said, when is it? So, well, you're in the wrong place. I said, I come in three times a day to just check. I can't find it. So, so it, it's, I understand why they want the sanitizer. I don't get there with the toilet paper. I do not understand that. Do you have a theory on it or no? My only theory um, is that I, I, I think most people don't um, understand that this might be weeks, not days. And just like, you know, before a hurricane, we all run to the store and buy um, milk, eggs, and toilet paper and water. And so I think uh, many people believe this is kind of like, you know, we're pre preparing for the next storm, and we, and we are, yeah. but it's just going to be more prolonged. <clears throat> and I think what you know people don't understand is we don't need, in fact, please, uh, people should be in, um, encouraged not to, not to go hoard. Uh, our, right. our critical infrastructures, <clears throat> to include our grocery stores, are not going to shut down. And, and the, the critical infrastructures that produce the same things that go into our grocery stores are not going to shut down. Society is going to make sure that we have these critical things continue to move forward and, and function. And so our, our store, they're not going to run out of toilet paper. And I think our society just you know, thinks it's, this is another hurricane. And that's a good analogy, but it's just going to last longer. And, and it, it's not like things are going to be destroyed. Well, the way you're saying it, I would even go to the store even more. Because if well, you're telling me it's going to be weeks, gonna, but, but the critical I infrastructures go, are going to... I would not go to Costco right now and get off yeah, the But you don't have to eat any more food. They're going to be, they're gonna be restocked. Right they're going to be Costco. restocked. Sure. They're going to be restocked you're, you're, and restocked and restocked. Sure, sure. You're not, gonna, you're, you're not going to need more food because of the virus. Yeah. Okay? And you can still go shop. I you're mean, not going to need food because of the virus. You're not going well, no, to need any more food. food. You're going to eat the same amount of food whether there's a virus or not a virus. Yeah, but but if they do shut down, and next thing you know, they're but they're not going to shut down the grocery stores. They're not going to shut the grocery stores. They're not going to shut down the industries that are producing the food and other supplies that go into right. our grocery stores. And so there's really 
no reason to be hoarding like like they are. Um, really not. I, I got a, a different kind of a question for you. What are your thoughts about if coronavirus happened in 94? Not today. Okay. So go to 94. No Facebook, no YouTube, not even MySpace, no Twitter, no Friendster, no, no nothing. Zoom. No, no Zoom. Skype. That's right. You, you would be struggling if there's oh, no Zoom. So yes, no Zoom. Mm-hmm. None of this stuff. <coughs> 94. <coughs> News doesn't go like this. You don't just go all of a sudden, boom, <coughs> update, update, notification, notification, notification. Mm-hmm. If this pandemic happened in 1994, how different would have the people reacted to the way media keeps saying, end of the world, end of the world, end of the world? By the way, what would have been different? We, we need to be, uh, yeah, stop using right. apocalyptic right, language, correct. okay? This is Tell a, the media that. Well, I know that, but and they are being apocalyptic Correct. about it. I wrote an article, actually it's called for Al Arabiya, which is the US government's Arab language news service for the Middle East and North Africa. They asked me to write a column. As a former AID, it's not well known in the United States, USAID. American people don't know all the good things they do around the world. But in the Arab world, AID is very well known. So they said, would you as a former administrator write something? Because people don't know what's going on. They're afraid, there's panic in the Middle East and in North Africa, and I said, sure. So I wrote it and I said, There's, there are two dangers here. One is to understate the risk by dismissing this and mm-hmm. not listening to the experts like Dr. Fauci. Mm-hmm. And the other is to suggest the apocalypse is upon us and the world is about to end. It's not about to end. No. This is nowhere near what it was in 1918 where 5% of the world's population died in six months. We didn't even know what a virus was then. Mm-hmm. We're just beginning to develop the germ theory of disease. Okay, They used to think that it was... Uh, um, uh, uh, swamp gas that caused yeah, right. illnesses, and they would still they were still bleeding people a hundred years ago. They thought the the problem was too much blood, or there's something wrong with your blood, and they would bleed you as a way of treating a disease. That was a hundred years. So well, we have a much more advanced system now. We have science. We know a lot more. And we also know how to produce vaccines. We weren't mm-hmm. producing yeah. vaccines 125 years ago the way we are now. So, uh, and advanced medication. You know, most of the drugs produced in the 19th century, early 20th, they were jokes. They weren't serious. In fact, they hurt you if you took them. Yeah. So, we have a much more advanced system. We, we don't, and, and that means we can respond. And the, the structures of government are much more sophisticated, even though people get disgusted with the government. You know who's going to be the, the big solution of this? People talk about the Chinese model working, and you know, that's baloney. The Chinese model is not a superior model to our model. Our model is highly decentralized at the state and local level. Most of the response is not taking place at the federal level. That's the most visible because the news media folks. It's what the 50 governors are doing, all the mayors, the boards of selectmen in New England, where I originally came from, the county uh, judges in Texas. They are the ones who run the systems that we actually connect with. Who runs the school systems? The federal government doesn't run any fools. How many universities are there at? None. How many uh, factories do they run? It's a highly decentralized mm-hmm. system. And what's amazing to me is if you watch what's happening across the country, people are simply saying, I see the threat. Mm-hmm. I'm the leader of an institution. I'm going to protect my people, which is my job. And that's what they're doing right. across the country. Mm-hmm. So what's going to say? that's the good news. That is the, that's very good news that we as a democracy are taking responsibility at our own mm-hmm. level, not saying, well, we're going to wait for someone from Washington to tell us how to fix this which is not a good idea. That's what we did yesterday. We made a list of people that have kids who uh, they can't find people in you know, daycare to take care of them, so mm-hmm. the, they're working from home. And folks that are above 50 years old are working from home. And then we made a list of uh, anybody that's pregnant, anybody that has any kind of a health based on the, the mm-hmm. conversations that they had. 
they're all working from home and uh, you know we're gonna have a few people that are working from here uh, we made that decision yesterday so i agree with mm -hmm. that but the, the question i want to ask you in 94 would the u.s government in 94 have reacted the way we are reacting today with the amount of fear that's in people right now because of social media would have would the steps and the way the government reacted in 94 been the same as it is today Actually, is it social media that's driving some of the fear as opposed to you know public health authorities and, and media? Because I think, I think a lot of, you know, actually the Director General of the World Health Organization described uh, before he declared a pandemic that we are actually in an infodemic. And so what we have now I is agree. we have an infodemic. hundred percent I agree. So much misleading information, fear-mongering and trying to get anxiety and worry in people. And so it's it's infodemic and it's the fear is actually much worse than COVID. And so somehow we've got to do a better, that does tell me that we need to do a better job as a society in, in, in risk communication and communicating, you know, what the, what the risks are and what we're doing about it and counter this, this misinformation that is, that is an infodemic. So, so, so social is it, media, maybe we would have been better in 94 without the proliferation of social that's media. That's what I'm saying. Well, I, I, I agree with that. One of the things that's happening is people are taking advantage of this to make money. Uh, they, apparently, they confiscated fake testing kits at one of the ports, federal where, authorities. Where, where at? I think it was in Los Angeles, wasn't it? It was in the West Coast somewhere. They, I saw it this morning on the news. It was very interesting. Does, Someone has produced a, it's not a test kit, but it looks like one. And uh, it's a fake, and people trying to make money on it. There are people running around saying that if you uh, can hold your breath for a certain number of seconds that you don't have the disease. That's complete nonsense. Does it damage your lungs in the later stages? Yes, but by that time, frankly, it's gonna not gonna, you're gonna have testing that, that can tell you you have. Holding your breath is not gonna tell you whether you have the d disease or not. The third thing that I've heard now is that if you breathe in 133 degree steam, into your system will kill the, the virus. That's utter nonsense. You could singe your lungs if you do it. I don't know how, how bad 100, actually I've been in 133 in Kuwait. <laughs> so <laughs> actually I survived, but that's not gonna kill a virus. It's ridiculous to talk about things like that. So people should be very careful. If you wanna find out what to do, go on the Center for Disease Control website they give you advice. These are the top scientists yeah, in the what United we're States. To. You, yes, yeah, you really need to keep you keep doing that, driving people to authoritative sources, and actually, um, um, I, I would e actually encourage people in their communities, wherever you may live, is go to your local pu public health website That's first. Right. Good idea. Because you, it's your local public health, your lo local emergency management, your local community uh, has got the most authoritative, up-to-date information for the community you live in. And then the CDC has got you know, the most authority, and they get their guidance and recommendation from the CDC and then apply it to their lo local communities. But you know, anything you can do to continue to promote people going to authoritative, authoritative sources of information would be very good. We're actually looking at, at, a, at a group that does kind of artificial intelligence has a, you know, uh, to look at social media, but we're trying to perhaps use a, a group that can help us identify how um, misinformation is, is bubbling up through social media to also kind of counter it with the right information. Who's we, by the way, when you say Well, that? I can't talk because it's, it's a proprietary company. I can introduce company. you to somebody. Yeah. You no, can well, do I would love, you I would love to do them. that. I would all, love to do offline, that. Offline, just, we yes. can make an introduction to somebody that would be fantastic because Because we need, we need to do that and try to put some counter, countermeasures of vaccine against social media, bad social media, because social media is also very important 
too. It's a good way that we communicate and get information out, but we just have to counter the, the misinformation. Right there there is a statement now I've heard on this, that this was all a conspiracy to defeat the president. Regardless of that's just nonsense. Do you think mm -hmm. that the Italians created this, what's happening in Italy? You think it's mm -hmm. all made up? That's ridiculous. The Chinese made up 80,000 of their people dying and uh, uh, collapsed the economy in order to affect our presidential. That's no not way. what's happening. Mm -hmm. So people, these conspiracy theories on the left and the right are not helpful. Well, you can't tell people to stop doing it. They'll do it anyway. But I'm just telling you, it's not helpful and it's nonsense. This is a real problem. It's a crisis. It is not the apocalypse. So right. we have to be, we can't create public panic on the other one. We need to take the steps necessary to get this under control. Has, uh, uh, who's the big whistleblower? The, the two big whistleblowers, what are their names? Uh, 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 I'm curious to know if any of these whistleblowers are coming out and giving any kind of insight. Uh, because eventually some of this news is going to come out. You know, the main whistleblower in China was a doctor who came out mm -hmm. saying, this is, this is bigger than we think it is. Yes. And then he died. He died from yeah, coronavirus. Egregious. Well, that was egregious. Personally, <clears throat> he's 37 years old. He wasn't in a high-risk group. I don't think he was in a high-risk group. I'm, I'm, I think they You sound have. like a conspiracy theorist. No. <laughs> the question why is, why how did a 37-year-old <laughs> die? I can't believe this stuff. Do you realize we, we just went from Joe Biden's conspiracies? Well, but, but, but to go there with you, I am not far from where you are, okay, yes. with what you're saying. So we're, we're, we're on the same page. What's your opinions on China? I've had General Spalding here, who's a general in the Air Force, and he went in a. Uh, oh, yeah, I know. Uh, you is. know what he did. He I did don't know him work personally, in, but I know. Yeah, he did some work on China, yeah. and he came here, and he, he held nothing back on China. Nothing. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, he talked about 5G's effects on what they're trying to do with Made in China 2025, how they want to take over the world, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there was no uh, filtering uh, there. Yeah, but what I are don't your think, thoughts on China? Yeah, what are your I, thoughts on China? I think that we are exaggerating. Let, let me tell you, I, when I was, I'm, I'm 70 years old, so I remember when I was in my 20s, articles in all the news media that the Japanese model is going to take over the whole world. Even a country of 100 million people, how they're going to take over the whole world. And the Japanese model, their industrial system is far superior to us. You, you read anything like that in the last 30 years? No. Why? The Japanese model was had deep problems with it. So does the Chinese model. Do you know what the Chinese have? They have a highly educated technocracy. Very well, very gifted scientists, very smart people. And they're good business people. And they've collected a lot of money. They got a billion and a half, most of you are our dollars in their sovereign wealth fund, mm -hmm. okay? You know what they have that we, do, that we have that they don't have? Hmm. We have very strong, highly functional, resilient institutions. You know what makes a society, and this is what I teach in my courses, what's the difference between a poor country and a rich country? It's not they have rich, riches in the rich country. It's they have institutions that produce wealth. The Chinese have weak and corrupted institutions. They're trying to fix them. They did, you know how many, how many law schools there were in 1980 in China? Four. Four. They had 2,000 lawyers in the whole country. You cannot have a modern economy without a legal system. No rule of law, no economy. You have to have a rule of law, okay? Milton Friedman assumed when the Soviet Union collapsed that all they had to do was free the markets up and everything would be great. At the end of the 1990s, he was at the Cato Institute, a libertarian mm -hmm. institute, he said, we made a terrible mistake. No rule of law, no economic growth. And there's a whole school of institutional economics that say that. The Chinese have profound dysfunctions in their system, which we are not seeing. We're creating a, um, a threat 
Is there a threat? Yes, there is. We need to deal with it. We're seeing it in the pharmaceutical industry. We need to directly address it. But let's not make some mythological, powerful figure out there of a country when, in fact, they have deep internal problems. And they, they, by the way, they recognize it. If you talk to Chinese privately, they'll tell you it. They're, if you go on, I don't read, read Mandarin Chinese, but some of my friends do. They said, you should see the rage of the Chinese people against their own government. It's unbelievable. They're saying things they would never say in a totalitarian or autocratic system because of the level of anger. They believe the government lied to them. They believe that they knew about this that was going on for two months before they did anything. And they're very, very, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of fear in the Chinese government of an uprising in China, like they had in Tiananmen Square. It wasn't, by the way, just Tiananmen Square in 1979 when there was an uprising in China. It was across the country. The, the, the center of it was in mm -hmm. Beijing. They're afraid of that happening again. There have been four shocks to China in the last year. This is the fourth one. They had this shock with the, with the African swine flu. Pork prices are up, which is the principal source of protein there. 130, 140% rise in prices in China. That upset people a lot. You know, there are huge price increases before Tiananmen Square. That's one of the things that drove it in 1979, the uprising in China. Same thing's happening now with price increases. And you have a lot of uh, money being spent to keep factories producing things that no one wants. Why are they doing that? Because they're afraid of unemployment causing uh, social unrest in the country. So they have a lot of internal problems, but we do need to understand they've been manipulating the international system against us. They're manipulating, the Russians are doing the same thing. They're using social media to defeat us, and we need to be more aware of it. Half of the anti-vaccine movement uh, is coming from Russia, from these Autobots. They're attempting to turn Americans social against... Social you know, the social media misinformation campaign. That's exactly what it is. They're running around saying the U.S. military planted this virus in China. That's a bold-faced lie. It's absolutely outrageous. Why are they doing it? They're trying to deflect attention from their own failures in the early stages of this. Now, did they act later? Yes, they did, but... The thing was loose for two months. What were they doing those two months? Nothing. They're suppressing the information. Mm -hmm. A democracy cannot suppress information because free press, free associations, uh, civil society, all of our institutions just don't permit it. They do, you cannot suppress information in a democracy. I don't trust any country that is ran on a one-party system mm -hmm. where there's no free press or free speech where the country controls the data, I don't, I don't trust any of it. China has been saying their unemployment has been between 2.8% to 3.2% the last 30 years. You have, you're out of your mind to say you're employing 1.5 billion people and only 3% of them don't have jobs. So and you, you, what, 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 I'm, what I'm concerned about, why is there a community of people in America on media that are constantly protecting China? I've had so many strong debates myself with some of the most powerful people in the world that protect China, and it goes over and over and over, and they keep protecting China. Why is there a community protecting China? I don't understand this part. What's your opinion on it? You're, you're around it all the time. <laughs> well, there are some people who have vested interests, economic interests, intellectual interests. They may have friends in China. They may be dealing with the Chinese government. That's one group of people who have a conflict of interest. I understand them, by okay. the way. I actually I, I understand, understand them. I Let's understand set those that. aside. There's a second group of people. Now, I have some friends in this community as well who say, if we start provoking the Chinese and they're really suffering internal problems, 
they could become extremely aggressive internationally. They have a large land army and we could face a war with them. We do not want to have a war with China. We don't want to have a war with China. It's, it would be a catastrophe from both countries and for the world. We don't need World War III, nuclear or not. Forget the nuclear part of it, okay? We do not want a conventional war with China. The, la the, the loss of, 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 uh, uh, of a human population, whether it's in the military or not, would be enormous. So they're the people who say, well, we just look the other way, okay? We, we just want to ignore their, respect their system. Well, I don't respect their system if they're cheating on the rules, and they're using the rules, I think, to their own advantage against us. And I have a problem with that, as many increasingly, by the way, the Chinese think, well, if Trump were in office, this would go away. Not nonsense. The Democrats are saying the same thing now. It's not a partisan question anymore. And I this, saw Biden say that as well. The, mm -hmm. the yes, debate. the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. ish, issue, I mean, I'm a free trader, pharmaceutical issue, I didn't realize this before we started studying this. We, by the way, we, we, uh, we brought this issue up in our white paper in 2018. This is not something we just, we wrote an article for, that was circular around the world, but our white paper that's been on our website for two years now, we said this was a problem two years ago. No one listened to it. Now they're listening to it. There have been congressional hearings on this and all that. So those issues we need to confront the Chinese on. But what we don't need is to push them so far that we have a conflict with them. I mean a, a military conflict, which is what these things sometimes descend into. You have a different yeah. opinion on that? Or are yeah, you no, on yeah, the same, same page? Same, uh, you know, uh, I would add just maybe one more category, and I'll speak kind of like from my public health colleagues in that, in that world. And we, we like to collaborate. We like to trust people. And there's been a lot of, um, say, Chinese scientists that have trained in the United States. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, you know, I guess friend, friend, re friendly relationships and colleagues in the public health and science community uh, between the U.S. and China. Uh, so there's another factor, and that's naivete. Mm. That you know, although that you know, we 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 are colleagues on kind of that professional level. Um, too many don't realize that they uh, may have. Um, um, there's only so far they can collaborate, and and that they may be using that friendship and collaboration to a bigger strategic advantage. So there's naivete is another component of that. I can totally see that. I have two more questions for you before we wrap up. Virus, coins, money, phone, where it lives. You've heard a lot of different data, 12 hours, 18 hours, clothes, dogs, pets, sex. What can you tell us about uh, the lifespan of this oh, virus? I'm not gonna and talk about all of that. Well, I mean, you, you can take any part you want. You got kids, so you know about sex. So what can you tell us about any of this stuff on how a person could get, you know, coronavirus? Well, I think, you know, the, the primary um, uh, mode of transmission of coronavirus is going to be person to person. It's going to be droplet. So when, when, when we cough or sneeze and it's the droplets that come out of our mouth and, and fortunately those droplets are falling to the ground and that's why this, this social separation is recommended of six feet. So that's really the primary means of transmission. Now there are, you know, we're beginning to understand what is, what is the environmental um, half-life of the virus, if it's on a table, on a doorknob, and so forth. So some of those reports are coming out, and, and it may be in days as opposed to minutes. You know, there's going to be much more. So that's, that's part of that category of some of the sciences. We don't unknown. Have unknown. But, it. It, but we're beginning to fill in the gaps and fill in the holes. But it's really, you know, that, that droplet transmission from person to person is really the primary means of trans, transmission for now for a healthcare worker in the hospital. Particularly, they may be uh, doing some type of procedure caring for a patient that might 
it could create an aerosol in an op in the room, which be behaves more, um, it may, may spread more than a droplet. But that's really kind of a special, unique situation in, in the healthcare kind of delivery in, in the hospital situation. Uh, so that's why the simple, tried and true infection control measures at the personal level are so important. Wash your hands with soap and water, and for 20 seconds, you know, sing the happy birthday song. That's about 20 seconds. As you know, as a as, as a reminder, um, and, and you know, if you're sick, stay home. And if if you need to seek medical care, by all means, do. But call ahead so you know what the procedures are, where you should go, so that you're not. Um, that they, they will give you instructions of how to how to come in, um, and you know, call etiquette. Um, that's all you know. Extremely important. So really, it's how do you avoid exposure? How do you avoid exposing others? You know, kind of think in those simple terms, but it's it's absolutely essential to m make sure we take uh, take those simple things. So droplets six feet. I mean, these are some good droplets if it can go six feet. By the way, I mean, legit. Well, like the, they're tiny, tiny, tiny. No, I'm, I'm giving you. I'm giving. But you that's what time, we. So. You know, that's what we should oh. do to try to no, you know, I mean, minimize that exposure. I wash Look. my hands mm -hmm. before I eat, long before the mm -hmm. virus. I get sick very few times. Because that the principal mechanism, other than droplets, is dirty hands. Mm -hmm. I have come to a conclusion that you want to make sure the folks below fifty stop working. I've I've come to that conclusion that that's what no, you want. Oh, my you, kids you, are below fifty. Uh, I don't want them to. You want us work? to stop working. So okay, last <laughs> last uh, last question, and this is this is my biggest concern. I'm not concerned about coronavirus, and what I mean by I'm not concerned, don't get me wrong, right. I don't mean. You know, I'm not, I'm being irresponsible and I got a wife and three kids and we're not taking the right measures. Mm -hmm. No, I was in LA, we had a board meeting. I got the news, I told my wife we're going back to LA. It was spring break for the kids. We were trying to take them to Universal Studios. My board meeting got canceled. We came back the same day. We we're supposed to stay three, four days. We're doing the stuff at the company. Everything, we're being responsible, what we need to do as a company. Okay, let's set that part aside. I'm not worried about coronavirus because I went and looked at the numbers of how infectious it is. You know, the R0 number, whatever that number is that they R look not. at, mm -hmm. you know, that, that shows like, mm -hmm. uh, say it again, R0. R0. Not. R not. Yeah, the number they're looking at on how infectious it is and how measles was like 12 to mm -hmm. 16. And it's then, 1 to 14, 16 for measles. Yeah. It's 1 to 2 to 3 for coronavirus. Coronavirus. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's twice as, as infectious as the flu is. It is. It's yeah, but here's the part. That's not even my question. Forget about coronavirus. Forget about coronavirus. Right. My concern is not coronavirus because, yes, these are still bad numbers. You know, 1% estimate die and, you know, 1.9 to 2.8, whatever the number, 1 to 1.9 or 1 to 2.8. That's the numbers I got that mm -hmm. I'm looking at from CDC. Yes. Okay, I'm not worried about this. What are we going to do? Because Ebola was 50% death rate. MERS was 34.4. Smallpox, 30%. SARS, 9.6. What are we going to do in the future? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You're in the world. 20, That's 30 years from now, when, when. Our white papers if, are all about this. If, if, and I want to get the answers. We're going to put your white papers, bro. What are we going to do in the future where we get a virus that is both as infectious as measles and both as deadly as Ebola, right? What are we going to do there to be able to prevent that from all of a sudden half the population in the world dying? Well, first, let me just take, uh, you know, uh, why some viruses... Um spread around the world and some do not. At the end of the day, a virus needs to have a living host. And so Ebola, you know, the bad news is it's uh, over 40, 50% uh, lethality. But also those who catch Ebola, you know they have it. 
And um, that's why containment measures with Ebola are so effective or can be effective. It doesn't get out of control. So um, you, you can actually control um, Ebola. It, we might have another crisis like we had in West Africa or what's happening right now mm-hmm. in, in the DRC, but it did not spread around the world. Um, uh, could it spread further uh, in the world? Sure, because of our globalization. But each virus is different. Um, and uh, some of these really high lethality viruses, they need a living host. And, and that's why containment type measures are extremely important so we can stop it so it doesn't keep finding a, a living host. Now that's why, why COVID is, is, is concerning is it, um, it, has, it, it has a case fatality rate that's a lot lower actually, uh, but you know, say it's 1%. But if it spreads around the world and you know, in, infects uh, just in the United States, you know, some of the numbers you were using earlier, 60, 70, 90, however many, you know, if it's in that range, well, that 1% fatality rate actually is pretty concerning. And, 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 uh, and so the, that, that number's kind of high. But what we have to do, this is, this is really, let me get to what we need to be doing. First, we need to be taking emerging infectious diseases much more seriously than we have in the past. I agree. That is yeah. that really is the issue, and these are uh, actually they become not just in the domain of public health. These are really national security issues, health security issues, and so we actually have some of the tools at hand that can a- actually begin if we focus our efforts to begin to think about prevention in the first place. It's going to qu- going to require some investment, but we first we've got to start taking emerging infectious diseases much more seriously than we do today. And maybe COVID-19 is a wake-up call. But guess what? SARS was supposed to be a wake-up call. 2009 uh, pandemic, that was supposed to be a wake-up call. Ebola in the West Africa in 2014, 2016, that was supposed to be a wake-up call. I just hope we can um, not push the, the snooze button after this is well, over. what do we do is what I'm well, asking. This is what I'll we tell do. you one That's thing we I can do that, that I can tell you from personal experience. The, the role of aid agencies like USAID and our NGO community and our contractors, DELF contractors, is to build the capacity of developing countries to deal with their own problems so that they can control these infections before they get out of hand. The trends now are that 75% of the 40 new diseases that have come up, infected people, human beings, in the last 50 years are from animals. Wild animals and domesticated, mostly wild animals, but domestic animals. Now, the institutions don't exist in many of these countries to prevent this from happening. They can prevent it. They can reduce it. Those wet markets in China where they sell uh, living animals have been a problem for decades. The Chinese government would not do anything. They have now banned them. They should have banned them a long time ago. And they know that, but they didn't want to do it because it's very unpopular politically. There's a study that was done of the HIV-AIDS program that President Bush started and that President Obama continued. This is not a partisan question. And on the malaria program by Senator Daschle, who is a, Repub- a Democratic senator. He was a Republic- the Democratic, Democratic majority leader in the mm-hmm. Senate. Majority. And uh, um, was it Bill Frist? Bill Frist. Chose- Bill Frist is a Republican leader in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So the Republican and Democrat, former senators, they, he- they, they uh, run this bipartisan center on policy and they looked at why Ebola didn't spread in Africa. Why was it contained in only three countries? And it's because the HIV AIDS program and the malaria program built the capacity of the Nigerian Center for Disease Control. To, there's no big outbreak in Nigeria. It was, it's a huge country. It's a quarter of Africa is Nigeria. Why didn't it get loose? It's right next door. It's because it, the Nigerian Center for Disease Control 
that was trained by USAID and the Center for Disease, our Center for Disease Control, CDC. Together, they helped build this institute and the Nigerians built it. It was very effective in preventing the virus from spreading into Nigeria. So one thing that's not very popular, a lot, a lot of people, is to have aid programs that build institutions in other countries to deal with this because the only way to deal with these out outbreaks is right in the country itself. That's so, what we should yeah, be most doing. of these dangerous viruses are emerging in, in low middle income countries where we lack, you know, they, they lack the public health institutional capacities. And so that's where you know, uh, foreign aid can be very critical because we can, if we can prevent, if we can first uh, detect an outbreak there, then, and if we give them the tools to be able to respond, they can stop the outbreak be before it becomes a, a regional epidemic or a, re or a pandemic. And so that's, that's why these international that's investments one thing are we can critical. Do. Yeah. We need to fix the federal government. I mean, I don't yeah. mean the whole government, I mean with respect to Pan. There's a whole bunch of questions that have not been resolved about who is responsible for what and how you, you, you turn the switch on when you turn the emergency response system on. Now, we're not going to go into it here, but Jerry is a member of the, what's the name Bipartisan of it? Bipartisan Commission for Biodefense. Yes. And it, I tested, he asked mm -hmm. me to testify mm -hmm. before it. I did. And he's very, I mean, you should read their report. It's a very powerful report mm -hmm. on what needs to be done. So there are issues that have not been settled because senior policymakers in both parties have not seen until now this to be an issue. SARS may have been a wake-up call, Jerry, but people saw it in the newspaper. It didn't affect them personally. That's right. This is going. Pick, to, yeah. This is history this is changing. This is history yeah. changing. Yeah. This, this, this is not something to take lightly. You know. No. You know when you grow up, you're, you 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 fear nuclear war. Yes. Oh my gosh! You know nuclear war. And then uh, the last 15 years, you're hearing everybody saying, you know, it's not going to be nuclear. It's going to be cyber war. That's mm -hmm. what it's going to be. Well, I mean, the easiest way to manipulate any kind of war and try to hurt a country mm -hmm. is through a, a bio-warfare, which, you know, you, sure. you guys study it. So mm -hmm. to me, when I sit and look at the numbers, see, I'm a data guy, I'm a math guy, I'm a guy that studies exponential mm -hmm. growth. We yep. started a business from 66 agents to 14,000 agents mm -hmm. in 49 states because the whole idea was about how can we exponentially grow. So mm -hmm. it's the only thing I paid attention to in high school and college was math. Only mm -hmm. thing. Everything <laughs> else I could care less about, right? Mm -hmm. So when I look at data, I look at it from a different perspective. That mm -hmm. concerns me. You know, here, here's one thing you said. You said you're able to control in the country. So this happens in Hubei, Wuhan, which is part of Hubei. 50 to 60 million people live in that area, whatever the numbers. You've heard 50, you've heard 60. And then it goes to Thailand, first country, I think, that has the case. And then it goes, Thailand then somehow comes to U.S. because a guy was traveling to Washington who was just in China. 30-year-old guy gets it, first case. And then, so then all of a sudden, 150, 160, how many countries we're at right now? I don't know the exact, I think it's 160 plus where we are it right is. now. Mm -hmm. And it's not as infectious as some of these other ones, right? So my challenge becomes, if you have a daughter and she's 18 years old, she's dating a boy who has AIDS, not because he got it from sex, but because maybe his mother had it and the blood, yeah, something, yeah. something. Yes, what I'm yes, trying to tell you is, yes. would you let your daughter date this guy and wouldn't you have certain fears? So if we know China has a wet market, why is US okay with you know, the travel, they're not creating more travel restrictions. If you know, why, why does a country like U.S. who has the authority to tell China, listen, if you don't clean house with the way you have these kinds of things, I'm sorry, we're just not doing business with you. We're not going to let your people travel to us. So to me, this, the concern of me long term as a parent and as a person that runs a business goes to travel. If we don't, if this, this has to be addressed through travel, if it's not addressed through travel and it's too easy of doing that with every country, 
eventually, if somebody has a virus, it's going to boom, 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 come to you, and you never know where it's coming from. Right. So I, I, don't, I, I don't know I, the answer to I that. Think That's why I think this crisis is say. going to cause a re-review, a rethinking of supply chains, a profound rethinking of supply I chains. I hope so, yes. Uh, not just in the pharmaceutical industry, because now Apple realizes They've got five countries or seven countries producing the components of an iPhone that's produced in China. If one of those sequential uh, parts of the supply chain shut down, they can't produce the iPhone. They've created a system that's highly efficient, keeps that's the America's price fault. down. That's America's fault. It is. Fault. I know. Oh, that's America's fault. I'm that's sorry. Really. That's, that's America's You're right. fault. You're right. Because uh, two reasons. Mm -hmm. The consumer wants to pay cheaper and the uh, entrepreneur wants to sell it for, make bigger profits. Correct. Guess what? If, Correct. This product's going to be 20% more, but guess what? What? It's made in America, period. Correct. It's made Correct. in U.S. You don't want it, don't buy it. Right. You know, if you want to buy, go buy a cheaper product that's made in U.S., but it's not as good of a product. Don't You don't have to buy this thing. But I, I, I do think... Uh, you're seeing more and more bragging rights about companies saying made in U.S. I think that's going to go even to a whole mm -hmm. different level. Yes, when I'm seeing a so. company say made in U.S., I want to sure. buy the product and support I, it. Let, let me so. mention one last thing we could do. Um, we could set up, CDC was trying to do it, AID was trying to do it. We, the funding has been cut off from it. No one took it too seriously. AID was identifying the 2,000 viruses that are the ones that, because they're like 150,000 viruses they've identified. Something, I don't know the exact number, but it's an enormous number. But most of them are not a threat. They've identified through a project that AID ran with funding from the Congress that came out of, I think, the 19, uh, the uh, Ebola. It was out of the Ebola uh, supplemental budget. And it created a system for identifying those viruses and then setting up a sentinel surveillance system around the world to give us early warning. We have an early warning system for famines that we started in 1985. There's been a substantial drop for the first time in 100, in fact, in history, the first time in history there's been a massive drop in famine deaths is because we have an early warning system to tell us when this is about to happen. We need an early warning system around the world when these virus outbreaks take place and to give us the time. You know what the, the biggest problem is in the response is time. Mm -hmm. uh, three weeks in an emergency response in a fast onset disaster like this is a huge amount of time. If you made decisions, you know, the first week that this happens, I agree. you can stop it. I totally agree. Yes, right. but you need a surveillance system. Yeah, but you can't do it if it's in another country that's not doing it at the levels that you're doing it at. That's, that's what I'm saying. You can set up I'm, you're a not in charge of that. You, if it, you can set up a system. You, you may be able to set up a system, but if they don't want to follow the rules you're no, following oh, because I it's know. a totalitarian, it's not, no, no, what, no, you, it, what are you going to tell I, them how to do I understand that. I understand yeah. that. But there is a way of checking uh, what's going on in other countries without actually being yourself in terms of Americans in those countries. So we, we have to do more to get earlier warning. We have to do more internationally to build capacity and try to prevent an outbreak anywhere it starts from becoming an epidemic. But we also have to do more in, a, in our own country. So whenever we do have a major outbreak, like a, a pandemic, that we can respond better in the United States. And we have to have incentives that the private sector is more part of the solution. We can't be totally dependent upon, say, the CDC for laboratory testing, as an example. And so we, we, we need to Very have, we, we need to have, systems in place that the private sector's 
um, part of the preparedness activity from the start. We can't just turn it on like a switch when there's a crisis. Find a way to make it profitable today. Absolutely. That's hard, but we, we've been talking about it a long yeah. time, but we got to figure that out. You find a way to give them that credit. By the way, anything mm-hmm. fi- does 5G have anything to do with this or not at all? You're seeing, have you seen any reports with 5G in this or not at all? I have not. Nothing? Have okay, come, couple, one of the conspiracies is 5G, by the way. I don't know if you've seen that. Or, there's okay. a conspiracy that about 5G. 5G. Go look it up. That there's, it's related to this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're saying that 5G. 5G with uh, uh, the waves is helping this thing spread. I don't know if you followed <laughs> any of this stuff with 5G. 5G's threat on, well, that's a whole different yeah. topic. Yeah. I don't want to go to it. Mm-hmm. All I can say is this. I really enjoy this conversation. I want to say it's a couple hours. To me, it feels like five minutes. Thank you so much for your help and coming out and giving us all the insight and uh, being willing to take some of the questions and pushback because that's how we all learn. <laughs> and uh, hopefully if this thing, uh, if we can... Uh, if we have more questions, and this is formulating a little bit more, and the audience wants you guys back, hopefully we can invite you guys back in the future Thank as well. You. Thank Good. you very Thanks much. Thanks so much for coming out. I'd shake your hands, but you know why we can't, because of the time. Yes. Thanks, okay. guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid-David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.